be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, actor! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that is for us so happily. Hey, actor! We can watch it on the Hello, welcome to episode 99 of Hey An Actor. It's the film podcast with a pair of brothers where we talk about an actor every month, dive into three of their films and decide how they do in the different roles they do. I nearly said, how do you do? I'm professional. And I'm also joined by my brother, Ian. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, Hello, Pandy. I don't think you introduced your own name. Um, Didn't I? Yeah, I'm professional. I'm professional. Lovely stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm uh, better than I was. I don't know. Yesterday. Um, Good. But, uh, Imagine yes. if that was always the way forever. You always got slightly, slightly happier. Yeah, that'd day. be nice. But but then you got to peak at some point. Yeah, it's... and then well, you that's, die. <laughs> that's one way of looking at life, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, imagine if the worst day of your life was the day you were born, and then every day just got better and better. I mean, being born is a pretty horrific experience, surely. Uh, traumatic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't remember it well. No. Um, no. Or, or even at all. This is a dark conversation, or potentially dark, so... Uh, but oh, hey, really, it was... In some ways, it was the happiest day ever. Hooray! Being oh, unleashed God. into the world. Yes. Yeah. Ah, good. And uh, Jesus's birth is coming up soon, so it's it uh, sure is. It's, w- it's worth considering babies at this time of year. Mm. Oh, the dear. ultimate birthday. The ultimate birthday of a very popular religion, uh, which has done a lot of good and a lot of evil. But mm. which has it done more? Well, we'll find out later on when we hear from the vicarage of Org. Uh, <laughs> I've not previewed their MP3, but... Uh... No. Oh, if it contains the Lord's Prayer, I'll be a happy boy. Really? So, just because I've committed it to memory from my childhood, and it's nice to kind of have it kind of exercised every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it's going to be repeated ad nauseam to you as a child, then True. You, you will pick it up. You'll pick it up. And, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what's been going on with you, brother? How's, how's it diddling? Uh, right, so, I mean, when we last recorded, I, I mean, I suppose I was on a week off from work, which, uh, helped turn around the Ben Affleck episode. Mm. Um, it meant I didn't do some of my chores, but there we go. Oh, um, no. and then I got a cold. Um, oh, but no. I've, it, it's pretty much gone by now. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, um, just winding down, I've got another week and a bit before. Coming down to the Midlands for Christmas. Christmas. And, um, yeah, so it's just really festive season in an office at the moment. So we've had ah. our big staff do, and then we're having our team do tomorrow as we record this. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, winding down my first year in my current job. Hooray. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got to say, I've had a reasonably good 2023. 
Excellent. Mm. Oh, good. Well, there's still time for it to all go tits up. Uh, well, that's the spirit. Um, <laughs> doesn't bode well for episode 100. Let's... I guess, I guess not. Mm. That's by the by. I'm currently experiencing my last few days in teaching. Yeah. Uh, which is filling me with mixed emotions. Mm. Um, which is, it's a, it's a bizarre feeling being in a school at Christmas time. Yeah. Thinking I'm not going to be back. I've, I've, I've purposefully not decorated my classroom because I can't think of anything more depressing than saying goodbye to children and then taking down the Christmas decorations before Christmas <laughs> and never returning. But, uh, that's yeah. uh, for your replacement today. Uh, well, quite, but I know her. Out she, with the old, she, in with the new. She's nice, so I don't want to fuck her over too badly oh, too right, soon. I've seen her class. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> oh, joy. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's Matt Damon month, brother. Yes. Let's, let's talk about Matt Damon, the, the counterpart to uh, Ben Affleck. Very um, much so. Last last month's featured actor. I uh, I wanted to pull out a few stops for right. Matt Damon uh, month, episode ninety nine. It's been quite a long time since I've done any kind of pre prepared um, jingle or or song or something. So I was ready. Well, when when you were in your pomp, you didn't have children. That's quite right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've still given out a few good jingles every now and then across the true, years. True, but uh, then, you know, the, the things like This Is Halloween, and that, that was before Evie was on the scene. That's quite true, mm. yeah. And I revisited that recently uh, for a special episode of um, Part of Your World with Christian oh, Honore, right. uh, where me and Kel and him talk about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Ah. So I yeah, had to listen to the real thing and thought, hang on, they've got the words wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, Elfman. But anyway, I sat down and I thought, right, let's be creative. Matt Damon, Matt Damon, here we go. Matt Damon. De- uh, um, to cut the long story short, um, what I have given you today, brother, is um, the, the end point of my research and energy. Um, bear in mind, I have an Eight. eight-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, so, like, how, how old was your daughter? Uh, eight. I thought you said nine. No. Mm. I'm oh, pre- well, we'll pretty sure back, I yeah, didn't. In the edits. Rewind <laughs> the clock. I don't think I did. Anyway, Jesus. Um, that's by the by. I have a, a little song, a little ditty, a little art piece um, entitled Things That Rhyme With Damon. And uh, I can only apologise, but I hope you can understand the difficulties that I ran into in my creative endeavour. I see. Okay, let's give it a listen. Shaman. Layman. Stamen. What? Canaan. Paul Heyman. <laughs> Trinan. What? I'm Clemen. Wow. Blemen. I mean, the the, the agony. <laughs> <laughs> At right. some point, I was going to make some kind of version of Let My People Go. <laughs> wow. With, 
<laughs> the, 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 the Daemonites or something like that. The people from Canaan. We'll put on a, a kind of Sam Rider, not Sam Rider, Sam, uh, Geordie Guy voice to do. I'm blaming Matt Damon <laughs> for some kind of thing. I could not. Wow. Uh, but you know, after you put in a certain amount of hours, you just gotta get something out there. Hours? Um, <laughs> hours? I mean, hours is maybe overdoing it, but you know. Yeah. I'll say. Uh, uh and, uh, the delightful music? Royalty free. I see. Well, it's like a Zelda offshoot for a game that I've never played. It does sound like it, doesn't it? It does. It's quite nice, or some sort of like indie uh, quest game like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Just before the village gets set on fire and you've got to go <laughs> find your adopted sister. Yeah, well, there we go. So, uh, three films, as ever. Mm. And uh, the main event is going to be the big... Damon Affleck collaboration, or not, if you believe Family Guy, <laughs> uh, and that's Goodwill Hunting. Mm. And before that, we'll be going with the film I had never seen before, which is The Martian. Ooh, take uh, me to your leader. Oh, lots of aliens in The Martian. Mm. Um, Technically, but, yes. Well, but we are going to start off with the film that Pandy had never seen before, and Brother, what is that movie? Well, speaking of baby Jesus and his birth at Christmas time, he very soon had the born identity. Wow. He has the skills you, stop right there. of a dangerous man. I need to know what went wrong. I think he snapped. But he has no memory. We don't take care of this. We will both burn. It's trained. Conditioned. Built to disappear. I'll give you $10,000 to drive me to Paris. I get the money and I don't get hurt. That's the deal. Now, the government's top agent. I can't remember anything that happened before two weeks ago. Yes. Is about to become their number one target. What's in Paris? It's a name. Jason Bourne. Let's see if the Paris police can find him for us. And the only way he can survive... Talk a lot. ...is to find out who he is. I guess you're not home. Monsieur Bourne! I don't recognize any of this. I don't recognize any of this. Before they find out... Get the address. I think I got it. Enhance where he is. Get everybody up. I want them all activated. Do it now! What is it? Something wrong? We can't stay here. It's not safe. He's out of control. It's very clear what needs to happen. Based on the international bestseller. I don't want to know who I am from Universal Pictures. You gotta get as far away from me as you can. What are you gonna do? Danger. I have everything they put inside me. Is everything I ever learned. All of it. Born. I'm gonna make it stop. The Born Identity. 
The Born Identity is a 2002 action thriller film uh, based originally on a, a novel by Robert Ludlum, uh, adapted for the screen by Tony Gilroy and William Blake Heron. Uh, there he is, catching fish. And it tells the story of a mysterious man who is found in the sea on a fishing boat in Italy, or an Italian fishing boat in the Mediterranean. Um, he's hauled ashore, he's got gunshot wounds, he's got a sort of little laser pen secreted inside his body with some contact details, and he has no memory of where he came from or who he is. So he's got to piece himself back together again. That man there is Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon. At the same time, he's battling against the uh, maniacal laugh of Chris Cooper <laughs> and Brian Cox. No, not that one. Um, and a sort of innocent Julia Stiles, uh, alongside a lady called Franca Potente, who's there to try and help him out, sort of, kind of, not really. She gets embroiled. Um, and possibly somebody who's... Trying to be killed. Ooh, how mysterious. It takes him all across Europe, and he's trying to find out who he is whilst keeping his new friends safe while being hunted by the Secret Service. Why? Well, you gotta find out by watching it, baby. I had never seen The Born Identity before, and uh, famously, brother, you had never seen it um, for the Hey, uh, hey For Your Is Only Hey days. That's the one. That's the one, yeah. Um, tell me about your change in fortunes for seeing The Born Identity. So yes, as you say, during the For Is Only days, which uh, subsequently find out has still got some love on the Twitter. Aww. Not not the X, you know. The, the Twitter. T- um, tw- Twitter. You heard me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, because it was something that obviously Adam and I, as men in our early to mid-twenties, um, you, you come after Bond, you come after us. <laughs> and uh, Matt Damon had given an interview where he thought the Bond films were... I think he used the word repulsive or oh, something wow. like that. Now, and so the idea was that there was, was some kind of parallel between the Bond films and the Bond films. Okay. And, like, and this was a comment he'd made before Casino Royale and Daniel Craig era kind of dramatically changed up the system because in fairness after you watch die another day repulsive isn't that strong a word but (laughs) still um so yeah at the time i made a point out of spite um not to watch the bourne film certainly not in the cinema don't give them my money but ultimately about five years ago, it was around the time that I was kind of looking at films on the iPlayer. Um, the iPlayer, you know, the tweet BBC, with the YouTubes, the BBC iPlayer, in which they play things, and uh, the Born Identity was there, and I'm like, fuck it, I've got a couple of hours free. It would be good to scratch the itch and take a look. And I definitely will give it a fair hearing and not watch it with my arms crossed. Okay. So How I did watched that the Born. I, so I watched the Born Identity. I've not seen the other Born films. Ah. Um, I'm aware that there's two direct sequels, uh, featuring Damon called The Born Supremacy and The Born Ultimatum. 
There was the Bourne Legacy, which had nothing to do... Well, not nothing to do, but Matt Damon... Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. Matt Damon... That was the name. Matt Damon wasn't in it. Um, Well, he kind of was, but not for long. Well, okay, he wasn't the star. Sure. Um, It was the the Avenger who ran himself over with a plough. And... (laughs) uh, (laughs) What? He did. And then, no, that's fair. That's entirely and fair. then um, Matt Damon came back uh, for another one uh, in in 2016. Oh yes, I'm getting the wrong born. So I'm aware of the film series, but right. this was what kicked everything off. The the progenitor of the Born franchise. Yeah, a franchise is born. And do you know what? Yeah, I wasn't that impressed. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just because leave leave aside the the bond posturing and everything like that. For for, for one thing, it's nothing like a bond film. Yeah. It's very much a kind of action thriller where a government is trying to get rid of a loose end. And to that end, I've seen films like that before. Right. Like, we've covered films like that before for this podcast. Yeah, I mean, like, um, Flight Plan. <laughs> I was thinking more like Hannah. Oh, I guess so. Or... Salt. No, we didn't watch that. We didn't watch Salt. But I've seen films like The Born Identity before. And it may well be that The Born Identity opened the door for that kind of film. But that having been said, there was a certain expectation I had going in. Right. Given that it spawned quite a few films, and uh, yeah, I, I just wasn't that impressed. I, I wouldn't call it a bad film by any means, but I thought the kind of government agency tracking him down part to be a bit half baked. Okay, it's just like, oh, why, why kill him? Oh, because he didn't kill a, another guy because he had kids. So, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so you proper Shania Twaining this film, and so I, I re, upon rewatching it, I, I nothing much had really changed. I mean, I, I look, I made more of the scenes involving Chris Cooper and Clive Owen and Brian Cox and and Mister Eco because but they're not in the film that much. Mm. So I just wanted to savour that because a lot of the runtime, for understandable reasons, is taken up with Damon and Franco Patente. But um, yeah, just to try and get a better understanding of why the plot of the film was moving on the way it was, I was looking out to pay closer attention to the kind of background players, as it were. Um, so that's, that's my kind of take on the Bourne Identity. Uh, mm. This was your first viewing, brother. What did you think? I quite liked it, actually. Okay. I think, I think you're right. To compare it to a Bond film is foolish, because it's the only thing they've got in common is they're somehow to do with the secret service of a nation. Yeah. And there are loads of films like that. And yeah, you've got a kind of charismatic frontman, and his first name and surname has a J and a B. That's that's pretty much all there is. Or J-A and B-O, I should say. That's pretty much all the connection that I could see. Because it's a, it's a different animal. Um, what it did remind me of, though, brother, is that around this time when it was first released, yeah. 
this being the film uh, rather than novel, because um, I wasn't alive. Um, there was a video game uh, that was a kind of cross-platform shooter called uh, 13, uh, spelled in Roman numerals. Yes. Where the, the yeah. leading acting performance was done by David Duchovny. Oh, right. uh, him of uh, the X Files. Mm. I think it was and uh, Evolution and Evolution. Yes, of course, mm. great film. Um, I think it was possibly the year before, but it had a very similar plot. Okay. Uh, that was in turn based on a, a comic book series, which I think possibly predates the the, the Born books potentially. Mm. But it, it started out similarly with a secret agent who washes up somewhere and has no memory of where they've come from or what they've done, but they yeah. know they're they're being hunted and blah blah blah. I mean, it, it dovetails from there a little bit, but. When the film first came out, I did have, I, I kind of went back to that feeling this time around of going, hang on, I, that was a similar story around the same time and I kind of disregarded it then and blah, blah. But it did, it has a certain kind of, um, not resonance with me, but I kind of like that, that mystery of who somebody is kind of story. Um, trying to track down the clues and kind of discover things about their own past. And I was trying to think of other films that we may have covered like that, where you're trying to find out who you are or look back in time. It's certainly a trope that's used a lot in video games like Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom as Legend of Zelda games, um, where you've got to try and piece together what happened in your own past or Zelda's past or whatever. And that's always a kind of a fun thing where you kind of go, ooh, and that happens, and ooh, and like see how it all interconnects. I find it quite a, a fun thing to have a little mystery in amongst some action. Um, and the Born Identity does have a, a good balance of that. You've got the mystery of who he is and following the clues and following the trail of breadcrumbs, but he's constantly on the move and being harassed and he's got to try and find clever ways of getting out of this, that and the other. And I, I really enjoyed that. Where it kind of fell off for me was about, I think, middle of the second act into the third act. It kind of lost its way for me with the... Well, we know enough to know that he was probably either meant to assassinate this guy or there's going to be some kind of clever twist. Um, this is a 20, uh, no, it's not 20. Yeah, 2002 film, 2002. So it's quite old now. I do feel bad for spoiling it, but I, I kind of could get the main gist of the plot from probably about half an hour in, maybe 45 minutes. Mm. It was like, clearly he tried to get this guy, but something changed and that's that's kind of all there is and therefore he's not a bad guy he's just this and oh i was right but it took a long time to get there the action kind of fizzled out when clive owen turned up Ugh. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> that's all right probert <laughs> uh not we, we've not seen him since closer um, yeah, true, sniffing a thong or something like that. Um, but yeah, he, it kind of fizzled out to, for me towards the end, and I wasn't a big fan of the the ending per se. Uh, it wasn't as clever as I thought it, it should have been. Um, but I guess it's working a sort of amount with the source material. Mm. Um, so it, it's kind of got to go a certain way. But I do know it did divulge quite a lot from the source material so they could have maybe found another way of doing it but generally i enjoyed the action i enjoyed the story and i did enjoy the performance of matt damon as big hunky lead man who's got to act at the same time yes um just before we we get on to matt damon just with regard to the source material mm. um as you say it came out before well the both of us were born um came out in 1980 mm. therefore You'd expect it to be very uh, Cold War based, mm. um, 
And is it? Uh, well, I've just clicked on the link. Well, I mean, it does go into Zurich and Paris. Um, so yes, yeah, so, I mean to to an extent, uh, but it's not Cold War related. It's, so um, seemingly the film roughly um, follows the the events of the book. So Ooh. just with a, an updated twist for the new millennium. Well, I'll be joggered. So Matt Damon got the role. Yeah. And he beat out some huge names for it. Oh, lay it on me, bro. Uh, so, former Hard Subjects, Brad Pitt. Ah. Oh. Tom Cruise. Ah. Oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wah. Uh, Sylvester Stallone. So, yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe. Whoa. Um, but yeah. Eventually, the role just went to Damon. Oh, and, well, well done, Damon. Yeah, because by this point, I mean, he'd done Goodwill Hunting, but this was a kind of, I suppose, the talented Mr. Ripley, but this was well known as being his first foray into action movies. Okay. Um, I mean, unless you think the Oceans films are action movies. Uh, he I'd, didn't do action in it. Really. I'd call them more heist. They're heist movies. Which for, I haven't First seen. and foremost. Mm. Have you still not seen them? No, of course not. Ah, oh, come on. It's got awesome music and smug bastards. Well, that's, yeah, I, th- I think it's the smug bastards that's putting me off more. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar winner, George Clooney. Um, <laughs> but I think Damon I mean, he's always an engaging screen presence. Um, and I suppose because he could do the action, I bought him in the role. But, I mean, if you'd said to me in 2002, like, Hollywood's hottest action star, Matt Damon. <laughs> Terrence and Phillips. Like, well, exactly. Um yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have been surprised, I think, but I suppose it adds a string to his bow. That, you know, he got fit for the role and took, you know, action classes and... <laughs> action classes? Well, you know. Hello, I've come to enroll in action classes, please. <laughs> well, I'm sure you can get them in Hollywood. <laughs> so Hollywood High School. Oh, well. I, I mean, there's there's a couple. Certainly. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I bought him, and you know, he he carried the film. Mm. And I suppose because the supporting cast were full of character actors, um, then he wasn't really overshadowed by anyone. I mean, I take yeah. the I take the point that you've got. You know, people who have been in big films like Chris Cooper and this was Brian Cox a year before he was Striker in X-Men 2. Okay. And I suppose Mr. Eco had just started Lost, although I think he was in Oz. Um, and now I suppose for our generation, Julia Stiles. Yeah, her from 10 Things I Hate About You. But her role was pretty subdued. Yeah, she didn't have much to do. Um... So, yeah, she has so, slightly more to do in the sequel. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Well, not too much, but. Okay, sure. But yeah, that's fine. 
so yeah, I, I, I think that helps. He wasn't overshadowed, and as I say, more of the film, quite rightly, is given over to his character rather than the supporting characters. So yeah, yeah, I think that's quite right. Now I think um, my misstep of this film. Um, and we've kind of sort of done with Matt Damon for now. Um, I think that the character of Marie doesn't really need to be there very much. Um, I think it's the for early the entirety two- of the film, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I think the fact that there was suddenly a bit where they start to kiss. It's like, all oh, right, That's so she's going to be there. She's going to be there till the end, isn't she? Well, my immediate thought was, oh, she's going to die, isn't she? Because no one really knows who Franca Patente is, so she's got, like... Come on. I know she was in Blow, and I know she was in Run, Lola, Run. That was a that was a big film. Yeah, all right. Time. I've not seen it. <laughs> Therefore, it's not important. Right, thank you. <laughs> That's uh, me, a professional speaking. Yeah, um, yeah I... Uh, it smacks of early 2000s, we need a love interest, or we need a girl one in there. And yes, you do definitely need there to be representation, and it can't just be a complete sausage fest, but yeah. the character of Marie was basically, I need someone to save me, and oh, look, I can also hold my own as well. We've got enough going on with somebody being hunted whilst trying to find out who they are, without having to worry about a sort of love interest out of nowhere. I mean, maybe we did need somebody to kind of, for him to kind of bounce off of, it's like, am I a good person? Am I a murderer? And her going, I think you're fine. I think you're lovely. Look, I'm attracted to you. I, I, I think he definitely needed an ally of some sort. A but love interest, it, not so much. No. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, right, stay with me on this one. Okay. It, it reminded me of all the things that Mr. Bean's holiday got right. Um, there is. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back. <laughs> because there is a girl one in that for part of the film. Right. And she's sort of there at the beginning and she's sort of there at the end. But there is no romance because it's a Mr. Bean film. And it's, she's there in a, in a vain kind of attempt to show that, wow, Mr. Bean's really fun. Isn't it nice to hang out with Mr. Bean? And therefore she doesn't outstay a welcome. And that's kind of it. Thank you for listening to my TED talk. <laughs> I mean, yes. And they travel across Europe in a car. Right. So, you know, Mr. Bean's holiday is twinned with the Bourne identity. <laughs> I see. I'm surprised you'd make any allusions to Rowan Atkinson after what he did to your favourite comedian. Oh, well, he's, his name is Muds with me, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Still. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't really appreciate her character very much at all. I don't, th- I like the idea of there being kind of like brother agents, like a kind of Alex Trevelyan type figure, a kind of somebody, not a brother in arms per se, that's not who they were, but like other people from this mysterious CIA program who are then activated to try and take him out and you know why is he the best of the best because he can take out the others but you get kind of you see clive owen like here and like on the trail and then bang field dead um you know it's it's quite the anti-climax really and clive owen by this point is a fairly high profile british actor 
Um, he has not quite done Sin City yet. Um, had he done Closer by now? I think Closer was 2004. Oh. Because so, he okay. had a spate of doing a lot of big films fairly close together in the mid-noughties. Right. Um, he'd been in Gosford Park. Yeah. The film that you're convinced you'd never seen. I'm, I haven't seen it. Um, Born Identity was the year after, and then he was uh, King Arthur. Um, the year afterwards. Do you remember King Arthur? The True Story? Uh, no. With, uh, Kira Knightley as Guinevere? No. It was a Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, <laughs> the True Story. Produced, uh, yeah. Crap. So I, I have seen that. No, so Closer was a couple of years later. Okay, so maybe he's not as big of a thing yet as I thought. But he's, uh, he's certainly big in British drama. Um, yes. having done some, some Channel 4 works and BBC work. So he's starting to break into Hollywood. Okay, yeah. fine. But it's, it, it's a good idea, but it seems kind of squandered. I know that the director, and more on the director later on, but he really, really liked having Chris Cooper and Brian Cox on set to kind of have big names in his, in his film. He can work with them. Mm. Um, and I do think they were good as being a legitimate threat and kind of being kind of these sleazy politicians, uh, or, or kind of seedy, mysterious CIA operatives. You can't quite get on board with what they are. They've kind of got good points about, you know, the greater good and trying to protect like America's interests and stuff. But uh, there's, there's nuances about self-preservation and stuff, which I kind of appreciated watching. Um, I did think it's a bit anticlimactic with the Chris Cooper character, but I do like how it sets up Brian Cox, the kind of big bad. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the, the antagonists quote unquote are very good. Um, but I guess memory loss is the big <laughs> antagonist in this film. Yeah. No, amnesia is the biggest thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I take your point because I think. Because so much of the film hinges around a man with amnesia, I mean, it's it's a way of kind of hand-holding the audience to try and get into the mystery at the same time as Bourne is, and with Marie kind of helping to coax it out of him, albeit somewhat reluctantly. But, you know, your antagonists are largely rather far away because mm. they spend I mean, aside from I don't know if you can call Julie Stiles an antagonist or not I mean well, she, she, she's on the baddies team she's, she's on the payroll doing, certainly yeah she's doing nice things well yeah she's doing things She, yeah she's ass- assisting she's an accessory to murder but, <laughs> but I mean, Brian Cox's character spends the entire time in America. Chris Cooper is in America for the most part until the end. And it's really just the field agent, what is Clive Owen, mm. um, who's there to inject actual jeopardy. I mean, there were other assassins there, but yeah. they're fairly low build and played by no-name actors. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much of a big name Clive Owen was in the Hollywood circle. Um, as in like, oh, this one's special because it's Clive Owen. Well, I, I mean, 
he was an up and co- he he was a name in British theatre and TV. So yeah. again, I think what's laudable about this film is again that the cast isn't so starry and flashy that it doesn't necessarily take you out of the film. Hmm. Because you know what's flashy about Chris Cooper? Maniacal laugh. Yeah. Maniacal laugh. Exactly. exactly. I'm like... Tex Richmond and I eat my cheddar with a cat. Oh god. Uh, don't don't bring that back up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean the the actor with the most potential for zaniness is Mr. Eco. And again, he's only in so many scenes. Yeah, so again so I I think it's good that it's relatively low key. The other thing that I hadn't perhaps considered is um it's an action thriller film about spies and assassinations and everything in the year 2002. Yeah. Just think about what happened the year before. Oh, a terrible day. Uh, yes, exactly. And yeah. so a lot of like new millennium paranoia about international killings and everything like that. So I suppose it came out at the right time to give it a bit of a boost. Um, Maybe. I mean, it's it's an anti-intelligence plot film in 22, 2002. So, you know, it's, it's kind of treading on dangerous waters in terms of trying to portray the United States as being the good guys continuously. But I don't think it does, though. Well, because... no, it, it's not. That's the point. Yeah. It's that I, I thought at this time, like, if you could say America's great, you know, you, you've got movie of the week, you know, um, as opposed to this, which is America's a bit seedy, right? Well, I think <laughs> the America great thing would have been a very cheap, easy patriot. It's the kind of route that Bruckheimer would take. Yeah. Certainly. But this is an adaptation of a novel. That is set in Europe, and I think it coming out so soon after nine eleven. Um, I believe it forced them to make a few stylistic changes with what they were going oh. to do. Oh. Like there was going to be some kind of massive explosion in Paris, um, but they decided, ah, we can't do that. <laughs> so instead, let's have a farmhouse shootout because that hasn't been done before. Oh, God. Um, Again, we've covered films like that. We've uh, it's in Looper, for God's sake. And again, <laughs> Loop, Looper is something that happens beforehand. Um, oh, it, sorry, it comes afterwards. But I don't know. I don't know if bits of it are derivative, or it's just something that's been copied endlessly. Maybe. I mean, this I don't was... know. This was 2002, so yeah. there's there's been know, quite a lot of years for a lot of aping. Oh, 20, 20 years, I'd say, at least. Yeah, I mean, you could probably estimate it, couldn't you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so is, is it that people have taken this film and run with it? Is it that it's just indicative of a certain Hollywood storyline? I, th- I, th- I think you can't deny there's been some kind of impacts. Probably. If, if just on the basis it spawned four sequels, however direct they might be. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a franchise. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not as prolific as, say, Fast and Furious, but it's a different type of film. And True. again, it's it's got the age-old problem of your lead actor getting older and older. Now, I know Mich- the Mission Impossible series bucks that trend, but <laughs> that's just the, the sheer force of will of Tom Cruise. And yeah. Let's not open that can of worms again. He's got Xenu on his side. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the film was made for $60 million and uh-huh. made $214 million, so it was a hit. Wowee. And uh, 84% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So, well, well received as well. And, you know, this is um, Matt Damon carrying a big property and continuing to do so into the wild blue yonder. And obviously we'll see how that impacts on his career as we look at it in part four, five of the recording. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you said you wanted to come back to the director. Yes, uh, because uh, there's a big difference between the board identity and the other Bourne films, because the director and the studio did not get on. Uh, Doug Limon, 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 I don't know. Um, he, he was, uh, he mainly came through from making short films, I believe, and then he kind of given a big property was quite hands on and quite precious over what he wanted to do. Um, he had quite a, a stake in this because he had got the, the rights, uh, from Ludlam and got the, right. Got the kind of, uh, the, the blessing of the estate, um, or not the estate, he wasn't dead by then, but, uh, I think he had a vision. The studio didn't really want to do what he wanted to do. And that caused some friction and he was replaced for directing duties for, um, the supremacy and the ultimatum. Um, he did stay on as an executive producer by uh, Paul um, Greengrass. Indeed. Mm. And, uh, yeah. Now, I then, having watched, um, The Bourne Identity, thought, oh, I wonder how it factors into the other one. And, you know, I had some free evenings, so I started to, whilst preparing my home office, I put on The Bourne uh, Supremacy. Okay. I've not watched The Bourne Ultimatum just yet, but I do have it ready to watch when I can, probably over the Christmas holidays. And there is a stark difference in terms of some things. Um, I think he's kept a bit of the consistency, um, but he's kind of lost a little bit of the, the creeping sense of dread, um, in the second one, the, or, or the, the creeping sense of somebody on his tail. Whereas in the second one, it's like, they're, they're onto you, go! And like, it's all very close knit. And like, both sides look a little bit idiotic like somebody trying to say the word idiotic and saying it wrong mm. um yeah it, it's it's a different animal i didn't enjoy it as much as this one um but you know there there are there's a nice similarity and a nice three it's definitely watchable and julia styles is back in it she's back and she has more to do yeah oh, so she's back she kind of comes back as a sort of born ex but it's not experts, but he, she was there with the first round of <laughs> bornness. And because she's there, he is, then uses her as part of his kind of investigations. Okay. okay. I think you, you, you best Ooh, leave it there. I'll stop it there. So I don't yeah. spoil it because I know you want to watch it. Oh, I'm a gog. Uh, well, go to the toilet. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, the born identity, um, a, a bit of a, bit of a mixed bag for you and I. Yeah. 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 
Well, fair enough. <laughs> so I was, I was kind of looking at, um, Doug Lehman's filmography because I don't know about short films, but certainly, um, he, he's had a very diverse career. So, um, before The Born Identity, um, not directly before because that's a, a film starring the accountant and Katie Fitchner. Holmes. How bizarre. But before that, <laughs> he made a very well-known um, kind of uh, budget comedy film called Swingers, which was written by John Favreau, a.k.a. Happy Hogan, uh-huh. and starred him and Vince Vaughn. Wow. And this was back before Vince Vaughn was a, a major comedy actor. This was around the time, but he was portraying Norman Bates. Yeah, oh, what a shame. Yeah, and then he went on to make Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, God. Jumper with Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> um, a political memoir, um, based upon some American politicians called Fair Ooh, Game. Political. He then made The Edge of Tomorrow with the <laughs> aforementioned Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Okay. And then other films as well. And many more. Mm. But, uh, yeah, he had a, he had a good run of films. I mean, no matter how, how much one identity maybe didn't work out for him, um, it kept him as a major player in Hollywood for the next 10, 15 years. So, yeah, I guess so. So good for him. Yes. 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 Well done. Well but done. But yes, ultimately, the one identity, I get why people like it. It didn't personally appeal to me, but, uh, you know, maybe the other films will. Fair enough. Oh, well, good. Speaking of other films, right? I'm very much looking forward to talking about the next film, brother. Okay. And it's called The Martian. I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Ready? And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Commander, Mark is dead. We have to go. Now you can either accept that, or you can get to work. This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates, and to NASA, and to the entire world. But I'm still alive. Surprise. Here's the rub. It's going to be four years for another mission to reach me. And I'm in a hat designed to last 31 days. So I got to make water and grow food on a planet where nothing grows. But if I can't figure out a way to make contact with NASA, then none of this matters anyway. You've got an incoming message. My God. <laughs> Mark Watney is still alive. In your face, Neil Armstrong. Okay, so let's do the math. I have enough food to last for 50 days. He's going to starve to death long before we can help. So, I'm going to have to science the shit out of this. He's 50 million miles away from home. He's totally alone. What the hell is he thinking right now? I am the greatest botanist on this planet. I know how to save Mark Watney. But we need the Hermes crew. We either have a high chance of killing one or a low chance of killing six. I'm not risking their lives. It's bigger than one person. No. 
It's not. NASA rejected the mission. So if we do this? We're talking mutiny. If anything goes wrong, we die. Do you realize how crazy this is? We have no other option. No matter what happens, tell the world, tell my family, that I never stop fighting to make it home. The Martian is a 2015 sci-fi film directed by that there Ridley Scott. You weren't there. There might very well have been Napoleon blowing up the Houses of Parliament. He hates history, but he loves (laughs) sci-fi. And it stars Matt Damon. It should really only star Matt Damon, but they decided to jack in an A-list crew as well. Uh, as a supporting cast, which includes Jessica Chastain, Jeff Daniels, Kristen Wiig, former hard subject, Cheetle Edjofa, Sean, <laughs> Sean Bean, Michael Painter, Kate Mara, Sebastian Stan, Donald Glover, honestly. Benny Wong. Benny Wong as well. How dare you not say Benny Wong? Well, because it's Benedict. Um, <laughs> so the story is there's a crew who've been uh, living and doing experiments on Mars, but uh, it's time for them to... Well, they're forced to abandon Mars due to a storm and start their uh, mission returning to Earth. Now, as they're making their way to the lander, their botanist, Matt Damon, and the role he was born to play, um, uh, he gets, <laughs> what? he gets hit by some, uh, debris, and the crew, because there's no vital signs and they can't really see him through the storm, assume that he's perished and they need to leave to ensure that they, they live through. But, uh, it turns out he survives. And, uh, works out that, uh, if he wants to stay alive, he needs to A, make contact with the Earth, and B, find some form of sustenance. Hence mm. the hilarious joke of potatoes. Potatoes. Um, once it's realised he is alive, there's a lot of guilt, recriminations, and then desperate efforts to save him. Some more convincing than others, sure. What? Dean. Um, so I've never seen The Martian before. Uh, I had heard of it because it's one of those kind of premier tentpole films. Um, it was very well received. It made a lot of money. For whatever reason, I just didn't see it. Um, okay. But, but you have, brother. Yeah. Uh, what were the circumstances and what did you think? I watched it, I think within the last five years, um, it was on either Netflix or Disney Plus or some kind of subscription service, um, Amazon Prime. And uh, me and Kel sat down and watched it together and both absolutely loved it uh, and just thought it was a fantastic collaboration piece of 
big name stars and a compelling story and a sort of compelling message as well. Um, and it's, it still remains a film that I can watch often. Okay. Um, and just really, 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 really enjoy. Um, what did you say? Sorry. I said, okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I watched it for this podcast. I watched it again afterwards because I really wanted to watch it again. Um, and both times cried, um, at a certain part, which I guess we'll get into later on. But I just find the story of Mark Watney really compelling and the, the, the kind of message of international cooperation. And uh, I, I just really enjoy it. And I think it's really well made and well told. It looks great. It's well paced. It's got a great soundtrack of ironic disco songs. Uh, there's so much for me to like in this film. And I'm really interested to hear how you feel about it, brother. Your first time watching The Martian. I thought it was excellently made. Um, I thought Matt Damon was, again, very engaging. Um what a role to really kind of sink your teeth into. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like a modern day Apollo 13, except it's fictional. And, <laughs> or know, Apollo 13 mixed with Castaway. Uh, yeah, to, to an extent. Uh, all, the, all the Tom Hanks movies. But, <laughs> I did feel that, um, it, it suffered slightly from the problem that the Bond identity did, didn't have. It's just like, I'm a bit distracted by all the named actors in there. Um, okay. That bit, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, at the moment it is in the top 100 of my flick chart. Because right. I think it's very well made. Uh-huh. I didn't <clears throat> perhaps have the same emotional engagement that you did. I certainly don't remember crying at any parts. Really? I don't remember doing so. Um, so, no. But, um, <laughs> I, but I, I found it a very compelling watch. Certainly. Okay. Throughout, yeah. Fine. Um, well, let's, let's dive into it. So, okay. yes, it, it's a bit of an all-star cast, or all-star, but there's a lot of big names in this cast. And I guess similarly to the Born Identity in some ways, you've got, Matt Damon carrying the the lion's share of the emotional weight of the film because he's the one that everything's happening to. Yes. In the background, you've got big names who are talking all about him. Um, so in in many ways, and I think we'll see it again in Goodwill Hunting. He's like the big guy who everything's happening to, and everyone else is kind of supporting him. The, you mean the protagonist? Um, yeah, I guess so. But okay, unlike Goodwill Hunting, uh, The Martian and Born Identity, they they really isolate this person. Um, and, you know, they spend a lot of time doing stuff completely on their Todd. Um, the difference in this one being is that Matt Damon is playing a character, but he's also monologuing and kind of using the ship's, um, kind of, uh, recording software to kind of do a, a diary, I guess, to kind of keep himself going yeah. and keep himself psychologically fit and kind of sort of like the diary room in Big Brother. Um, or maybe to just chronologue, chronologue, to log. Chronologize. I don't know. I think chronologue works. Chronologue. Oh, I'll take that. Um, what's going on and when it happens and so on. There's a lot of kind of day one, day that will solve this, solve that. Um, cause it's not days, it's measured in solar, um, yeah. cycles. Um, and 
yeah, so there's him going through the motions of this is how I feel and this is what I'm doing, and you get to feel kind of happy about how he's getting on or worried for him or kind of just the the emotion at the ends with with the rescue mission gets me every time because you've seen him be stoic and kind of uh keeping it together and being professional because uh, he is ultimately a, a NASA operative. Yes. He's not military, but he is part of NASA. He obviously would have had some kind of training about, you know, keeping calm. And ultimately, that's the, the kind of message at the end is, you know, prepare for the worst. And I mean, yeah. he's he's a bit um, of a genius, it has to be said. Yeah. Because I it did make me think throughout, what if it was me in this position? <laughs> and I would straight up tell you, well, I'd die. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, as as much as I, I like the idea of having survivalist instincts, um, no, I'd, I'd die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he clearly has access to painkillers on board, so he could just kind of take some Vicodin and then walk outside with his helmet off, you know. Yeah. Uh, who knows? But uh, it's it's the story of somebody staying determined and staying positive and kind of solving problems. And like he says at the end, you know, keep solving the problem. And if you solve enough of them, you get to come home. Um, and yeah. Now at the same time, you've got a mega star cast in many ways. Yes. Um, I don't see how that would be distracting. Um, I mean, yes, there's a kind of a, the only thing that kind of took me out a little bit or always takes me out is that bit when Donald Glover's character first comes in. Yeah. And they de- they decide <laughs> that was to one of the things it. I was thinking. Yes. Because <laughs> there are certain, like put, put it this way, it's okay. like, the crew that inadvertently leave him behind, it's like, yes, I recognise Jessica Chastain. I recognise Michael Painter from Ant-Man. I yeah. recognise Kate Mara from the really bad Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> I mean, the really bad one. Uh-huh. I remembered the Winter Soldier. <laughs> but again, it didn't... They didn't take me out of the film. I was just like... Okay, Jeff Daniels is the head of NASA. I can go with that. Sean Bean? No. Well, no, I, I don't mind having Sean Bean in the film. It's it's the whole it's the it's the bit where they name check a film that Sean Bean has clearly been in in a scene he's been in when they're talking about the Council of Winter not Winterfell um, Rivendell. Oh right, and they have to explain Lord of the Rings stuff with with him in the room. Sean Bean's right there. That's the only bit that makes me go what? Well, that's but, and Donald Glover. Oh, come on. Donald Glover's fun. I like Donald Glover a lot, but yeah. he did And you still don't out. watch Community. Sorry? You've still not watched Community. I've seen the first series of Community. Yeah. yeah. You should watch more. Well, when I um, find time, sure. I, I guess so, in your busy schedule. Uh, well, um, yeah. <laughs> that sounded these, unnecessarily these harsh. forums uh, demand a lot of preparation. <laughs> no, so, you know. Yes. Yeah. If only you... Didn't have to do them. Yeah. Uh, fine. But no, I don't mind having the all-star cast at NASA behind because you've got, um, I really appreciate Jeff Daniels in this film. Jeff okay. Daniels is the kind of the head, so the, the head of NASA. Um, and he's got to be the one who is kind of politically minded and so a little bit, not cutthroat, but you know, um, emotionless in yeah. some ways because he makes the point to Sean Bean that he's, trying to kind of tie everything together and you know keep their feet on the ground or get more birds up in yeah, the air keep, keep nasa going 
keep NASA going, keep the paychecks going in, because ultimately they are a government-funded agency and... Mm. Mark Walkney telling the president to go fuck himself live on television or whatever yeah. is not going to fly very well. But yeah. I don't see him and think, oh, look, it's Jeff Daniels or, you know, oh, look, there's Benny Wong as a <laughs> rocket guy. I like that they've all got their roles to do and it kind of explores the, the, the politics of NASA. I, think, the- I, I like the fact that there's a moral greyness to not just his characters, but to most of the senior NASA guys. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it brings home the whole idea if you've got one guy stuck on a planet miles away and who should be dead, mm. but they've, they've got a lot of man hours going into one person alive and that is going to ultimately cause a little bit of conflicting feelings. Yeah. About, you know, this is going to cost millions if not billions of taxpayer money. Can we really justify this? How are we going to justify this? And then also the fact that they withhold the news from the crew. Yes. Like, longer than they perhaps should have. But but it makes sense, though, because oh, yeah, space yeah. travel yeah. is dangerous. Yeah. But, you know, there's Sean Bean going, they fucking should know. And Jeff Daniels is like, no, space travel's difficult, fuck you. But, you know, if it wasn't for the heart, they would have basically condemned him to die. Yeah. Um. So it's... I think what I like about this film is that it's a very complicated situation, and it does rely on a lot of moral... <coughs> Uh, ambiguity or a lot of challenging of like what is important and Sean Bean has that line um, uh, Jeff Daniels says something like it's bigger than one man and Sean Bean says no it's not and it's uh, you can see both their points of view in one scene mm. about this this big big government agency where there's lots of people working together on this stuff and ultimately it comes down to do you save one person or do you abandon them i guess for the for the quote-unquote greater good um ultimately they all they're greater good they'd all like him to come home and they all work together ultimately to do that um and thank goodness but it's it could so easily have gone tits up this mission um but the fact that it, it it goes forward and endures and like people from around the world are wishing him well and other nations help out mm. in this situation. And ultimately it's a, a moment of kind of international relationships. And there's like a, a photo of, um, there's the American and the Chinese uh, rocket engineers photo together in front of a thing. And it's on Time magazine. Yeah. It's like a really quick little shot. And it's so indicative of like, Look at what people can achieve when they work together. And ultimately, the thing that makes me cry every time I watch it is it's one particular scene, apart from like right at the end when he gets saved. It's really stupid. It's when they're in China, in the Chinese mission control, and the rocket goes off and everyone starts clapping. Mm. That's the moment that breaks me. Because it's a moment of like, we did it. That's the moment that breaks Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the other bit breaks me as well, but that's, the, I guess, the first bit. Right. Ah, it's so good. I really like this film. Yeah, I can tell, yeah. <laughs> I would say, and again, this is only the first time I've seen it, so... Okay, I've, fine. I, I, I'm still ruminating a little bit. But okay. I would say that one thing that kind of surpassed my expectations would probably be the wrong phraseology, but if you were going... For, for given what the character is enduring, the isolation of space, there have been a couple of other 
films that have explored this, but they've done it with a really stripped back cast. Um, So the one that I'm thinking of that's most relevant to the podcast is probably Gravity. Yes. Now, that's a very different kind of film, admittedly. Because that's just mentioned George Clooney in it. Because that's just trying to survive in space when she's basically within the orbit of Earth, but she's completely on her own. And then there's also a very well received um, Sam Rockwell movie called Moon. Okay. Uh, which is directed by Duncan Jones, who's the son of uh, David uh, Bowie. David Bowie. Yes. Star Man. That's the one. I'm taking the sky. And again, it deals a lot with the isolation of them being alone in space. And whilst this film does do that, it does it effectively with more limited screen time whilst jumping about with the rest of the cast, A-list or not, um, in dealing with the situation and what their role is in the film going forward. Which I appreciate because I think... I had Gravity really high up my flick chart at one point. Uh And then... Chris Johnson said something. The bastard. Uh, said, <laughs> like Gravity. Oh, that's just a roller coaster movie. I thought long and hard about it. So I'm like, I'm not sure I agree, but I kind of do as well. So I haven't yeah. seen it since we've reviewed it. I, I am due a rewatch, but I mean, if I was to put you on the spot, brother, mm. I, you can plead the fifth by saying, I hate flick charts. It's not a good comparison. <laughs> awesome. But, uh, Gravity versus The Martian. Martian? Okay. I mean... Because I remember I, you really did like Gravity. I do, I mean, but... maybe it's unfair because I've not watched it in a while. Yeah. And I've also been kind of tainted by, um, that great Golden Globes joke told by, um, uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler about how Gravity is the story of how George Clooney would rather float away into space and die than spend one more minute with a woman his own age. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a Tina Fey joke. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember really enjoying how it, I mean, similar to The Martian, like, here's a problem, solve it, here's a problem, solve it, but that was more kind of roller coaster problems and. Yes. Just, just life shitting on Sandra Bullock in real time. <laughs> Whereas this is more long term problems with the whole point of him growing potatoes. Yes. Is that he's got to deal with his very real food shortage. Oh yeah. yeah. And, you know, kind of cultivate soil and, uh, and crops on a planet and therefore being the first person to colonize Mars. Um, I will say that there wasn't a lot. I mean, there were enough. But there weren't so many unforced, like, disasters. Because, you know, like in, say, like, SimCity or Phoenix yes. Hospital, yeah. where they'll, the game will randomly throw in a problem to disrupt the good progress you're making and you have to work around it. Yeah. It's like, there were moments like that in the film. Yeah. But... It's not plain, it's not smooth sailing. It's not that one after the other, like what is in Gravity. I suppose. Yeah. 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 I, I guess so. Yeah. Which, which, um, you know, keeps the, keeps the stakes up. It does, but then they're very different stories. Yes. Yes. And it, this is kind of dealing with long term, get this guy home and why it is morally questionable. Not morally questionable. Bring that's the wrong phrase, but. <laughs> what did you, a um... boy. <laughs> He's what? Teddy Bedtime. It's a song from Les Mis. I don't remember. 
Which you hasted. Anyway, sorry, go on. Uh, what did you feel about the, the crew of the Icarus? As I say, I like them. Um, I think it was very clear that there was a bonhomie between them and that the fact that they can't get, or, I mean, the fact that they don't have, uh, what's the character's name? Watney, uh, on board to begin with is devastating enough for them. Uh-huh. And I think it's really good that they cast Jessica Chastain as the captain. Right. Because you can see the weight of her job on her, like the decisions that she has to make in the circumstances. It's like she's clearly addled with guilt twofold. One about having to leave him there thinking he was dead and then finding out he isn't dead and she's a captain of a ship who's left a man behind. I mean, it's Mm. a very old concept, but it rings true, you know, throughout because space travel is like the modern slash future version of like naval kind of ships and crews and captains and responsibility and everything. Yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. So I think Chastain was very good casting and then the rest of them you know, they they balance out and this is where I mean it's not a a hugely accurate comparison but if if you think of Ridley Scott's earlier film of Alien Mm. it's again an established crew with a bonhomie, a bit more in terms of tensions between the crew uh-huh. before there's a cat amongst the pigeons or a, a xenomorph amongst the, the crew. <laughs> and the cat. And the cat, yes. But um, <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing that Ridley Scott gets right. It's like, yeah. Now, I've not seen all of Scott's films, but... And I was going to see Napoleon, actually, until someone gave me a review. Ignore... The history stuff, it's a shitty film. <laughs> so oh, wow. It's like, oh, okay. It's like three hours long. It's oh, like, God. Three hours and bad and expensive. <laughs> I'll give it a pass. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, so he's hit and miss as a director, but, like, the stuff that he's very good at, he is really good at. And I think sci-fi he has got a very good track record with, because it's not just Alien, it's Blade Runner as well. Now, I haven't seen Prometheus and those Alien films. Um, uh, I suppose they've they've not got quite as good a reputation. But uh, this film does. And I suppose because it's not pure sci-fi, it's very grounded sci-fi. Um, because it's, well, set it's in still the, sci-fi. It's set in the future and it involves space. Yeah. But a lot of it is based in what I'd say is the near future. I think it's meant to be... 2035. Yeah, so there's still things like press officers, as played by Kristen Wiig, and, you know, there's still certain things. And, you know, there are examples of how Earth is a bit more advanced compared to today, but Mm -hmm. not massively. At the same time, didn't notice too much difference at all. Really. Exactly, exactly. Um, because I mean, ultimately, twenty thirty five. I mean, we're recording this the tail end of twenty twenty three, 
That's 12 years away. Yeah. You know, 2035. That's the year I turn 50. <laughs> God willing. I mean, God willing. I could God have willing. died. But, um. <laughs> this is such an uplifting episode, I know. isn't it? But, I mean, but, but the, the, the point is more. I mean, think back to 12 years from, from this year. It was 2011. It's like. Oh, happy day. Well, I suppose. But moreover, it's like how much physical difference is there on the streets today than there was in 2011. I mean, there'll be I some. I guess so. Because we've had a, a, a shitty government for all that time. <laughs> bit, bit of politics. Yeah. But They've not a, invested in them at all. Yeah. Oh, especially in Northampton. No, are yeah. you kidding? Yeah, completely yeah. bankrupted your entire area. Yeah. So but, bad they had to split it into two more <laughs> corrupt governments. Um, yeah, oh, but the, the point making is they they don't go overboard with the fact it's set in the future. It obviously has to be set in the future because it's about, you know... People, Space travel well, well, <laughs> on Mars. There being a colony on Mars. Not yeah, a yeah, big yeah. colony, obviously, but enough to uh, allow a, a scientific crew to be stationed there and to do experiments and such like. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's a rare example of a film... That's made me want to read the book that it's based off of. Okay. Just because, I mean, I've looked into it briefly, and it was originally self-published on a blog, um, serialised, and then they've they've subsequently bought the rights and produced it um, as a, a full full on everything together story. But I get the idea that they probably pieced together the reason why there's such an ensemble cast is they've got to have you know there's Donald Glover's, Glover's character and there's the Benny Wong character having to go and do this that and the other um you can I, I'm assuming you can see the pieces fit together in a certain way um but I do think big cast that they are and big names as they are um it it does a good job with balancing their screen time there is a good amount of waiting between the the Mark Watney, uh, Matt Damon, there and, and you know Jeff Goldblum, the Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Daniels. Oh, imagine get Jeff Goldblum as the head in of space. Nothing. Bloody hell! <laughs> uh, no, we we need to rescue him from Mars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I like how they've done a lot of this stuff, but I, I I'm really interested to find out the. the more about the, the the novel that it, it came out of. Mm-hmm. I I propose, brother, that we play a very quick version of the Oscar game. Okay. Just because it was nominated for seven, but oh, okay. um, I, I'd like us to play a quick version based on what was the winner of Best Picture instead of The Martian, and who was the winner of Best Actor instead of Matt Damon for the year twenty. Uh, what was it? Well, it came out in it came out in 2015, so the Oscars would have yes. been in 2016. That's right. Yes. Um, okay. So best picture. I'm just looking for the winner. Best picture. So films that were out eight years ago. Mm. Uh, there will be a George Clooney film in there, probably. Well, as as an actor or as the best picture. Well, I'm saying there will be a film of his in there. Nope. Okay. But he'll probably be in the running for Best Actor. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. He won Best Actor. Right. Very good. Oh, so that the... must have been the year of The Revenant. Correct. I see. So did The Revenant win Best Picture? No. Oh, okay. 
It was nominated, but no. I can imagine, so it's Scorsese and it's DiCaprio. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay. So you've done Best, Ox- uh, best Actor, now I'm looking yep. for Best Picture, please. Best Picture. So a film that was a contemporary of that. Um, have we covered any of the films on Har before? Uh, from that year, no. Okay. Um, can you give me a clue as to who stars in those pictures? Who stars in the, the winner of the winning picture? Oh, oh I, well, I mean any, but yeah, the, the winning picture, sure. The winning picture, um, the, the main actors, uh, you've got two different superheroes. Okay. From two different comic book universes. Right. You've got, um, the, the, <laughs> you've got the antagonist of the terminal. Uh, the terminal? <laughs> Bloody hell. And you've got Lee Schreiber. Oh, that helps. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so the antagonist of the terminal, if memory serves, was Stanley Tucci. Correct. Um, the fuck has Lee Schreiber been in? Um, since his X-Men Origins Wolverine Triumph. Of course. Um, okay. Uh, Think about we... the, the, the two leading people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and f- for best picture. Mm. Uh, it's not going to be Hemsworth. Um, I mean, if you'd think of prestige people... I mean, I have to assume the MCU is one of them. Yes. Um, so, prestigiously, you'd think Downey Jr. Nope. But clearly not. Um, DC, so Affleck or Carol for DC? Nope. No? Ooh. Or Gail Godot? Nope. Gail Godot. Think older. Before comic book movies were a big thing. Oh, wow. A happier time. A happier time, indeed. Are we talking 90s? Yep. Are we talking Batman villains? We're talking Batman. Batman! Ah, okay. Um, oh. Former half subject, Batman. Keaton? Yes. There's, there's your DC. Yeah, okay. Keith, uh, Lee Schreiber wasn't in Birdman, was he? No. No. Because we've covered that. Um, oh, what was that, um, newsroom thing called? Yeah. The paper? No. The newsroom? No. Nope. That, that was there. So to give you a clue. Um, <laughs> sorry? <laughs> Michael Jackson. N- no. <laughs> For Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirls, I sang <laughs> because she had a song which is the name of this film. Oh God. Now I don't like <laughs> living under your No, I'm not going That's it. right, it's Spotlight. Spotlight with Mark right. Ruffalo. Yeah, yeah. Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> yeah. The Hulk. The Hulk. Yeah. MCU. 
Great. Ah, I'm so glad we shortened that to two Have different you... Oscar nominations. <laughs> Is that a film you've seen? No. Okay. I, I really enjoy The Martian. I think it's a great <laughs> film. <laughs> I really like how it's directed. I really like how all the actors are played. I love the story. I think it's possibly a top 20 film. Wow. Um, I, I'm well, dust Don't, off the flick charts. Ah, uh, fuck off. <laughs> uh, just because it's it goes along the kind of films that I could watch again and again and again. Mm. Um, and em- demonstrably, invest to you yeah, yeah. demonstrably, I've watched it twice within like, a fortnight. Okay. Um, and I may have watched it earlier this year as well. I can't remember. Um, but it's in. I, I like it. I like it a lot. You've seen it at least three times, then. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that's good praise. Mmm. Cool. Okay then. Uh, so that's The Martian. Yeah. And Matt Damon's really good in it, so you know. Yes, yes, that he is. So, uh, we move on to our third and final film for the episode, and that is him playing the titular Good Will Hunting. A good boy. On the campus of one of America's leading universities. There is a problem on the main hallway chalkboard. It took my colleagues and I more than two years to prove it. And I'm hoping that one of you might prove it by the end of the semester. The most gifted mind to ever enter its classrooms. Oh, this is correct. Who did this? Is the person who cleans its floors. Well, I just need the name of this guy who works in my building. Got this job through his PO. You can call him. PO? Parole officer. Meet Will Hunting. I've been looking over this rap sheet of yours. Assault, theft, resisting. I've spoken to the judge, and he's agreed to release you under my supervision. Really? But I have to meet with a therapist every week. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) For the first time in his life, he's about to meet his match. How many shrinks you go to before me? Five. This boy's genius is unparalleled. I need someone who can get through to him. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. I went on a date last week. Going out again? I don't know. This girl's like, you know, beautiful. She's smart. She's fun. She's like perfect right now. I don't want to ruin that. Maybe you're perfect right now. Maybe you don't want to ruin that. Have you talked to him at all about his future? Give him time to figure out what he wants. This boy has that gift. Can you imagine if Einstein would have given that up just to get drunk with his buddies every night? Some people can never believe in themselves. I can't learn anything from you unless you want to talk about you. Until someone believes in them. You can do anything you want. You are bound by nothing. You're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. I'd do anything to have what you got. And some never know how much they can have. I love you. Until they discover how much they can give. Academy Award winner Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Stellan Skarsgård, and Minnie Driver. Goodwill Hunting, nominated for nine Academy Awards. Good Will Hunting is a 1997 film written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, starring 
Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, but also starring Robin Williams, Steven, Stellan Stars, Stellan Skarsgård, and a tiny, tiny little car person, Mini Driver. And it tells the story, it tells the story of Will Hunting, who is good at doing maths and stuff, uh, who is squandering his potential by hanging out with his, uh, let's say, well, Ned Wellmates, <laughs> like Ben Affleck and another Affleck. It's a biographical film. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's, he's clearly squandering his potential, but, uh, catches the eye of Stellan Starsgard, whose name is clearly a problem for me today, um, who is very good at maths, at being a professor at MIT in Boston, uh, who tries to help him turn his life around, but before he can do that, there must be the small matter of unpicking his psychological issues. Enter Robin Williams' character, Sean, um, Sean Maguire, more on that later. <laughs> uh, who does the intros rounds and then helps him out with uh, trying to understand what makes him tick um, whilst he's being very guarded and stuff. Um, and it's a film that I had seen before and um, had enjoyed before and watched again with fresh eyes and enjoyed even more the second time around. Uh, brother, had you seen this film before? Yes, um, we rented it back in the first four Meadvale days. Did we? Yes. Have I seen it three times then? I d- well, I don't know if you you saw us at the time, but I definitely remember seeing it during my teens. Okay. So, yeah. Smashing. And, and uh, what did you think then and what do you think now? At the time, I, I was too young to fully appreciate it, okay. if I'm being honest. Um it was just a case of there's a lot of swearing and Robin Williams isn't being particularly funny. Not really. Yeah. Well, he's not blue and doing monologues. Exactly. So uh, I wasn't sure what to make of it back in the day. Um, but uh, yes, um, I've seen it maybe once before I rewatched it for this uh, podcast. Um, but uh, I, I think this is an excellent film. Ah, good. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, and I think everyone agrees really, because it's one of the most highly regarded films, um, according to the Hollywood Reporter. Um, it had a budget of 10 <laughs> the million. The barometer of taste. Oh, shut up. Um, it, it had a budget of 10 million and made 225.9 million. Um, so, you know, um, it got an, an Oscar, um, win for African Damon. Um, and an Oscar for Williams as, um, best actor. Yes. Um, it's still highly regarded to this day. It still rings true to this day. I think it's aged pretty well, apart from the payphones. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it was set at that time. So yeah. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess it's kind of date stamped in that way, but you know, it's a, a very well told story. Um, it's very well paced story. There's, Acting performances up the wazoo in this film. I don't think I've seen Stellan Skarsgård act before. Uh, what? I, I know. I've we seen covered him. Mamma Mia. I, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating to see Stellan Skarsgård. Oh, fuck's sake, I can't say his name today. Skarsgård. Skarsgård. Pennywise's dad. Yes. Um, it, it's fascinating to see him be an actor. And not just kind of a bit of a clown in Thor or a clown in um, Mamma Mia. 
Um, you're, you're taking this it reference a bit far. What do you mean? <laughs> anyway, um, but then also a star is born in terms of Matt Damon and obviously Ben Affleck's there as well. And this, I mean, we covered three of his films last month, month brother, mm-hmm. and you know he, this this is the best Ben Affleck film we've covered. Um, even though he's not the main star, he's kind of the. I, He's a driving force behind the film. Yeah, and he's a constant presence. Mm. He kind of represents the squandered way of Will Hunting's potential, or the life that is squandered. He, he represents what Hunting's life should be were he not gifted with his prodigious talent. Yeah, and but, but even within that, he's not an antagonist figure. He is... He's one of the people who kind of makes him realise, makes Will realise what is important, what should be important, and what life is all about. Carburetors, man. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's, um, I think it's a great film, which uh, I, I think lots of people should watch and enjoy if they've not seen it before. I mean, even I mean, someone like Minnie Driver in the film as well, Mm. Mini Driver is not someone who I would argue has become a huge, great big star. She's still mm. a, a big name, and you know this. Cer- is a... Certainly around this time, yeah, because this um, was released the same year as uh, Gross Point Blank, right? Yes, so of no, course. Ninety-seven was a big year for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And she kind of hasn't kind of. It, may, it sounds unfair to say she's not stuck around, but she's not kind of become a, a Hollywood A-lister or a, a star who's still around you know that's not to say that she deserves that way or she put in a bad performance and therefore it's it's fascinating that she did so well in this film and she's great in this film um absolutely fantastic but you know this is like apart from this and the alan partridge chat show i'm alan uh, knowing me knowing me with alan partridge where she played a transsexual um that's that's all i really remember for her oh uh, come on golden eye was she, was she in Goldeneye? That is my mistress, Irenia. Oh, very That's her? Girl. That's Minnie Driver. Oh, God. Singing Stand By Your Man. I I maintain... That was 97 as well, wasn't it? No, that was 95. 95, oh. Tomorrow, so... tomorrow Never Dies was 97. <laughs> I see. So, <laughs> great. Her um, being shouted at by Robbie Coltrane paved the way for... R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, but, yeah... I, I think it's, and especially coming around the same time as, um, fucking, what did we cover last month? Chasing Amy. It's fascinating oh, yes, yes, to yes, see yes. Ben Affleck be almost the same character, but do so much better in this film mm. in the same year, um, and win an Oscar for it as well. It okay. almost makes Chasing Amy even worse by comparison. I would, okay, I, I would argue there's a difference between his character in Goodwill Hunting and his character in Chasing Amy. I don't, yes, that's fair. I will say that A, um. You're adorable. B, you're different. so beautiful. C. So we're starting a different recording <laughs> for this one. Um, also what's it was interesting is, um, whilst Chasing Amy came out the same year, uh, one of the jobs, uh, that, um, hunting, uh, went in for was Holden and McNeil. Ah. Affleck's character in Chasing Amy was Holden McNeil. Oh, and it should be noted that, uh, two of the producers of this film 
were Kevin Smith and uh, Scott Mosier. And actually, it's uh, Kevin Smith is one of the main reasons why this film ever got made. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, having done some quick research into the development cycle of this, because as well as being the actor in this film, famously Damon and Affleck wrote this film. I mean, yeah. Damon, I think Damon is widely credited with having the, the bigger Damon... part in it because it was his baby to start with whilst he was at acting school. Yes. Um, yes. but, and I don't know, like, to how much they've shared the labour or, or, or whether that's even kind of worth pursuing, but I know that they in, in together. Brief, yeah, in go brief, on. uh, Damon wrote this as part of an assignment when he himself was at university in, I believe, Harvard, mm. um, for a playwriting class he was taking. Harvard, a fairly well-known university. I'll say. In Boston. Boston! Um, and then Affleck came on board later on, uh, to help change it up, uh, once it was getting some more kind of studio attention. Yes. And then also Affleck had the connections to Kevin Smith, and ultimately, uh, it got them into bed. Terrible turn of phrase. Uh, with Miramax. Yeah, I mean, that's, but, that's the kind of horrible punchline to all that. Yes. Um, I, I will say, there, there was one thing that really got Damon and Affleck to go with Miramax in that, in this one. <laughs> A famous story. You, you know this story. Oh, yes. So basically, they wrote in a scene, it's not actually said who the characters are, but you have to assume it's Maguire and Lambeau. Um, basically, they wrote in a sex scene between those two characters, mm. which is hilarious if you've seen the film. Um, <laughs> and Weinstein said, I've only got one complaint. Why is there this sex scene in there? And they said, oh, we just put that in there to test people to see whether they'd actually read it or not. And it showed that Weinstein was the only person who actually read the the script. So it's probably because he was scamming it to find any kind of sex or boobs that he could exploit. Well, possibly, but filthy um, hun. But then, on on that note, um, uh, there, there isn't any, as far as I recall. No, so, there there is them in bed together, but it's very PG. Oh, there, there's sex scenes, but there isn't like outright nudity. No, so uh, more's the pity. Uh, I plead the fifth on that one. But, um, yeah, so this mm. was famously a do-it-yourself film between Damon and Affleck, um, and they got it made. They got to take on the parts that they'd written for themselves, and um, with studio backing, they got in some fairly major names, mm. Anthony Driver, um, to, <laughs> to help them out. Because, I mean, again, uh, Robin Williams won Best Supporting Actor for this film. Yeah. And we will get into that very shortly. But, you know, Stellan Skarsgård, not a slouch. Not, I mean, not a major name, perhaps, right. but certainly... A very, a very difficult respect- name to say, but yes. <laughs> a, a, a respected actor of his craft. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, he gave birth to Pennywise. Yes. So, it, it's it's something that... They, you know, gambled a lot on, and uh, it paid dividends I'll for them. Say. Uh, I mean, not just them, because obviously Damon and Affleck came away with uh, Best Off uh, Screen Writing uh, Awards when 
I think Affleck was 25 and Damon was 27. Yeah. Um, so again, they, they made history for being very young, uh, at the time. And yeah. that really kicked open the door to their Hollywood careers going forwards. But, uh, then also Robin Williams, um, you, you know, best known as a comedian and uh, a comedic actor, albeit with some, uh, dramatic roles under his belt. Uh, came away with Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Absolutely, and I think rightfully deserved. Um, I mean, oh, he's he's fantastic in this. Without film. looking at the other actor, we could play the Oscar game, I guess, a little bit later on. But mm. he he is a, a wonderful performance in this film because he gets to show off everything that makes him good as an actor and a comic. Um, where there's the famous scene where he's talking about how his wife used to fart in bed being kind of ad-libbed and improvised yes. and that's real laughing from uh, from Damon from yes. Damon and actually you can kind of see the camera shaking because the cameraman's laughing as well <laughs> just 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 a little little bit um <clears throat> but um yeah he, he he's he's just great he's wonderful um, and he's telling a heartfelt story. He's playing a, a sad character and Robin Williams does drama brilliantly. Mm. Um, yeah. Good on him. I know that, um, I, I saw a, uh, I read the trivia in IMDb for this and there was the thing about when he was doing the famous scene in the park bench, um, with, with, um, Damon. Yeah. That was a public park, and there was like off off screen like three hundred people watching him. Um, do so the the fact that he kind of is giving this kind of heartfelt monologue whilst knowingly being watched by lots of people expecting the funny, mm. and I, I don't know how far away they're meant to have been because there was a bit of a distance, but you know, it's well, I mean, ultimately it was a film set, so they couldn't have been right up close and personal, but well, yeah, but yeah. you you know. The, the pressure's on to try and keep things on. But, you know, he's a consummate professional. Mm, and yeah. you could look at Robin Williams and think, yeah, he's a funny man, funny comedian guy. But no, he's proper actor. People forget that. Um, and that particular scene is not him cracking lots of jokes. Nope. That's him very much having a kind of emotional chess game with Damon because I think it's only the second meeting between his character and uh, Hunting. Yeah, second or... Th- uh, yes, no, you're right. Cause they go outside after the, in the second one, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have the Oscars up, if you want to very quickly... Um... I, I think we should probably leave that till the end. Okay, fine. Uh, really, because, I mean, if if not for traditional, um, but also <laughs> just because I, I kind of want to dive a bit more into the characters. Fair um, enough. First off. Dive um, away. Now, uh, we'll, we'll get the shallowness out of the way first of all. Mm-hmm. To people my age and maybe a bit older in Britain, if you hear the name Sean Maguire, you might think of the actor who had a career in Grange Hill and then a pop career before he moved to the uh, United States. Um, and uh, was in Meet the Spartans and I believe was Prince Charming in Once Upon a Time. Well, I'll be. Yes, he was uh, a he was a, like a contemporary of um, PJ and Duncan in in God. the pod's sakes back in like nineteen ninety four. Right. Mm. Now I made a joke earlier about doing the intros round. Okay. So I was clearly getting um, Sean Maguire confused with Sean Hughes. 
Right. Yes. <laughs> the Irish comedian who the had Irish comedian. a panel captain on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. I mean, it's another, it's a very Irish sounding name, so. Oh, it's absolutely, I mean, he was, Sean Maguire, the, the actual person was from an Irish family, but was born and raised in Essex, so he was, that's why he was in Grange Hill, I suppose. Yeah. Um, wow, yeah. wow. Indeed. But um, with regards to Sean Maguire, the character, uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure what accent Williams was doing, but he's clearly meant to be from Boston. Right. So, uh, because it comes back into that whole speech that he's giving to Damon about um, the uh, Boston... Red, Red Sox. Sox. Yes. Uh, the Game 6 in the World Series which he ultimately didn't go and see because he had a date with his future wife. Yeah. And how big a thing that was. And, yeah, it it, it was interesting because I've seen other performances, dramatic performances that Williams has given. I mean, when we did our Robin Williams episode back in year one, I think the biggest... Dramatic. I mean, okay, we did one hour photo, but then we also did Good Morning Vietnam. Right. I suppose one hour photo is the biggest dramatic performance, although that was also meant to be a bit creepy. Um, whereas here, it's a case of, it's a professor with a sense of humour, but it is a dramatic performance all the same because he's still a man kind of getting over the loss of his wife. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah. And he's kind of treading that fine line between being a little bit nihilistic in some ways, um, but ultimately wanting to reach out and help this boy and try and, um, show him not the errors of his ways, but, you know, helping him to maybe overcome some of his own demons or not making the same mistakes as he... Uh, I, I think he's certainly supportive to Hunter. I'm not sure nihilistic's the right word. I mean, well, I, he's, he's sort of, when you first see him, he's a little bit kind of, what's the point? Oh, so he's certainly downcast. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I think nihilism is slight, goes go slightly further into the, the pessimistic, but irrespective of that, I think it's more a case of... He's finding himself teaching in a community college when he has been at a, a larger height back in his career, hence his connection with uh, Selen Skarsgård's mm. character and the fact that there is this tension between the two of them. Yeah, and it's uh, fascinating to look at those two as kind of sort of like the, the good angel and bad angel on his shoulder Yes, yeah. um, between what to do with his talent um cuz there's it's kind of exploring the demons of um Skarsgård's character hey i did it um in terms of like pursuing academia and pursuing prizes and getting all the plaudits but ultimately being kind of empty and Maguire's character well William's character Maguire being more about um finding a life and you know experiencing stuff and not just closing yourself off emotionally for the sake of prizes and whoop to do aren't you great and i think ultimately the the ending leaves it a little bit up in the air as to like how seriously hunting's going to do but it, it does kind of take on board both of those because hunting does 
kind of again without wanting to spoil it too much, he is able to make a sensible lifestyle decision which is going to benefit him for the future and get him out of um this kind of perceived rut. But yes. at the same time, he is going to stay true to uh, someone he loves and um, the, the wishes of his contemporaries. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to. No, spoil I, it, I understand it. exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you're doing a very good job of not spoiling things. Um, I think what I, I would say with regards to the kind of good angel, bad angel analogy, it is clear that Maguire once he establishes a bond of trust with hunting, is looking out for his best interests. And Lambo perhaps isn't. But I think what is skillful about the script is that Lambo's not doing it out of any malice mm. um, or antagonism. And I think the relationship that Maguire has with Lambo is just as important with the one that he has with hunting because ultimately, you know, they kind of re-establish their friendship, albeit with some kind of shouting matches along the way, just to get out what the kind of tension between them throughout the the many years of, of their association together has been. Um, and, and that makes it kind of realistic. And mm. when we're introduced to Maguire, he is teaching psychology in a community college um, in an area of Boston that's kind of away from Harvard and MIT. Prestige. Indeed, uh, in Bunker Hill, which is slightly away from things. Um, I think at this stage, brother, just as a caveat, and I I mean this as a genuine question more than a kind of... I don't think my brother's very smart. Um, but, <laughs> okay. So my question is, um, what, what do you know about Boston? I know that they don't like tea and <laughs> they dunk it in the river. Um, not a huge amount. I know um, the, the kind of the accent that's synonymous, mainly through the, the TV show 30 Rock. Right. Um, where... 30 Rock, okay. Well, 30 Rock, um, Alec Baldwin, uh, noted murderer. No, that's not funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he strikes up a relationship with, um, Julianne Moore's character, who, and she puts on a, a quite a thick Boston accent, yeah, eh? And, you know, that's a really bad Boston accent. Sorry, I'm sure Dan Tolan's going to laugh very heartily at that. But, you know, it's, um, I know that it's somewhere that's meant to be a little bit um, uh, two parts, as in it's got prestige in terms of its uh, academic institutions, but it's Boston as well. Um, so, yeah. Okay, yeah. So the reason I asked that question is because this film is very Boston. Yeah, okay. Very Boston. And... Um, it and you much... say this as someone who... Now, yes, I, I should say I've been to Boston. Uh, I went in uh, 2015. Right. Uh, it was a kind of late 30th birthday present uh, to myself. And I did indeed meet up with Dan Toland. Ah. Uh, we met up in the kind of university district uh, of Boston. We had a meal together. And then uh, I met his better half, Wendy... Uh, as well, because uh, she was picking him up, 
and uh, they gave me a lift uh, back to my hostel. So, oh, how kind. Uh, that was very nice of them. Um, but I particularly, I reached out to Dan about this film because I wanted his impressions of the film ah. as it de- depicts Boston. And uh, Dan did duly get back to me. Um, so I'll just read this uh, verbatim. Okay. Uh, so he said, hey, could you, Ian. Could you do it in a Dan Tolan accent, please? Uh, no, I couldn't. <laughs> hey, Ian. Hey, Ian. Goodwill Hunting is extremely Boston, obviously. But it was about a side of Boston that didn't get a lot of play in film up to that point. Movies that took place in Boston up to that point were usually either set in academia or showed the me showed the more upper-class side of the city. But Hunting was the first movie I remember seeing that was more focused on the working-class side of the city, South Boston specifically. Southie was already starting to get gentrified at that point, but Will and Chucky lived in the grimy, run-down Southie I remember growing up. Game six of the 1975 World Series was, at the time, the greatest, most important sports moment in living memory in Boston. Wow. And would remain so until they finally won the World Series in 2004. So that scene definitely rang true. Damon and Affleck were both from Cambridge. That is to say the kind of Cambridge district of Boston where a lot of the universities are. And uh, Dan goes on to say, one of my best friends actually went to school with Casey Affleck. Oh! And they definitely had the feel down, even if they were playing up the accents a lot. Robin Williams' accent, on the other hand, was like what I imagine hearing Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins is like for you. (laughs) So, uh, thank you very much, Mr. Toland, for that uh, insight into... uh, the Boston aspect of the film. Cheers, Dan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so what he's playing on is that, I mean, the character of Hunting gains prominence because as a maths prodigy, despite the fact he's very working class, he's taken up a, a custodial position at Harvard University and that allows him to... Um, get exposed to these kind of uh, maths calculations and uh, to which that he has a, a think of and uh, solves and that kind of gets the actions of the, the film kind of into gear but if you look at where he lives and where he hangs out with Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck and Cole Hauser, who doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's uh, that is South Boston, right? So that shitty house he lives in, and that shitty neighbourhood, um, that is the South Side of Boston. Now, right. when I was there, I was staying in a hostel in the city centre. I did go up to the Cambridge region just to take in MIT's museum. And, like, walk around the kind of grounds of Harvard before I met up with Dan. Um, so I never saw the, the, the proper harsh side of Boston. And, um, that's very much for the, the greater good because I'm a tourist, um, who's fearful for his life. 
So <laughs> they have guns in America, you know. What? Uh, even in Boston. Oh my so, God! And you came out alive? Well, clearly I did. Clearly I you. did. Uh, I was unable scary. to save the tea, but uh, oh, I, no. I came out of there alive. Oh, why bother coming back? What did you think of Damon's performance in the leading role? Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I mean, the character of Will Hunting is complicated, um, but charming, but flawed, uh, caring, but violent and conflicted. And it's, I think you see all that in, in Matt Damon's performance. And it's, it's a very complicated character and it doesn't kind of, this is Will Hunting, who was abused as a child, and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't kind of paint him out to be a victim, but it does explore the 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 things that have led him to do the things that he does currently. He's not whiter than white, because there's one scene in particular where you think, Jesus Christ. Um, is that one with Mini Driver? It's one with Mini Driver. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where she's well within the rights to kind of go, oh yeah, that wasn't cool. Goodbye. But, yeah, you know they're in love. Well, so. I, but that 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 scene shows how emotionally damaged he is. Yes, and not yeah. ready to take on a, a, an emotional bond beyond you know casual sex. Basically, no. Yeah. no, but he still obviously cares for her, and you kind of you see him becoming more of a person through the events of the film. Yes. Whereas towards the beginning of the film, he's full of rage and confused, but smart. But by the end, he is a young man. Um, and yeah, it, Damon's performance is great. And obviously he knows this character really well because he wrote him. Um, <laughs> yes. So, you know. With the intent, the intent of starring as him. Yeah, quite right. And, you know, if, if you're talented enough to write that and play that, then why the hell not? Um, so yeah, I think the, uh, yeah, I, I was quite disappointed when I learned who the real leading actor Oscar went to that year, because he was nominated for the leading actor. Um, right. I, I won't get you to play the, the Oscar game, but Jack Nicholson won it that year <laughs> for as good as it gets. As good as it gets, yeah. Jesus Christ. Because it's so great to see very old men, uh, being in relationships with much younger women. Yeah, mm. it definitely makes sense. Um, so yeah, I was an unhappy guy to learn that. But never mind. I, um, yeah, what do you think? I think Damon's very good. Um, especially because he's meant to be 20 years old in the film. And he was 26 when he was filming it. But because he comes across as really young, he can just about get away with it. Yeah. It's like, there's clearly a sense of Will and his mates being young men. It's like, if they'd gone to school up to the age of 18, then they're clearly within their first couple of years of um, working in professions. Now, I think it's pretty clear that they didn't go to school up to the age of 18. Um, 16 at most, and probably dropped out before that. Uh But... He's clearly got a close-knit support system within Ben Affleck's Chucky, Casey Affleck's whoever, and Cole Hauser. But <laughs> Who? Exactly. But I I think it's more over to show that he is different from them. And whilst 
Affleck's character is good as a means of like keeping him grounded through the film. Uh, he ultimately serves as a contrast, and this comes through in the very last scene that they've got together. Yeah, where Affleck's Chucky character is basically saying, "Dude, if you're still doing this with me in twenty years, I'm gonna fucking kill you." <laughs> Like the Star Child, um, <laughs> because because it, it, it the line of dialogue is you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too much of a pussy to cash it in. Mm. It's like Chucky realizes that this is his ceiling in life, whereas Will's ceiling is that much higher. Yeah, and therefore just slumming it with him is almost an insult to him, mm. and. I mean, it's it's both noble, but also ultimately kind of true. So, it is. I, I take umbrage with the line about the best part of my day is hoping that you don't answer the door. Yeah. I, I, I think that's maybe taking it a little bit far. That's but, a bit Hollywood, perhaps. Yeah. Um, where ultimately, oh, wow, he did it. He really, you son of a bitch. You really, mm. yeah. um, Danny Elfman scored this film. Yeah, that was a surprise. I didn't hear a single umpa. There, there was no haunted band going umpa, through umpa, the umpa. film. Goodwill hunting, goodwill hunting. <laughs> no, and and a jolly good soundtrack it is too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, elf man showing <laughs> some range. Why elves mess? <laughs> elves frighten me, Alfred. <laughs> Especially after his contribution to the first two of my movies. Whoa. Uh, Mini Driver. Mini Driver. Yeah, she was there. I thought she was very good. She was very good. She was very good indeed. Because I don't remember her being as good like the first time around. Now, granted, again, I I was too young to appreciate the film first time around. But because Mini Driver had a kind of blink-and-you'll-miss-it kind of film career, with, you know, a couple of exceptions, but... There is the kind of uh, idea that she got lucky on a few casting decisions, couldn't cut the muster, and therefore kind of fizzled out. Um, Unfair. Which is unfair. And again, I I probably need to rewatch Grace Point Blank as well, which we covered for Dan Aykroyd Month. But I think in this film she was perfectly good. She was. Cause the character, um, I forget her name. What was her name? Skylar. Skylar. Um, the, the character of Skylar is, she's a young woman at college who's kind of being a little bit flirty flirty, but she's kind of, she's exactly what hunting pins her as, this kind of privileged young thing. Kind of it falling does help in love. She's English. Yes. Yeah. But I think, Mini Driver does a perfect example of that. And you, you kind of see the sort of lip-biting unsureness of uh, a young woman um, kind of falling in love with a bit of a rough-and-ready, roustabout ruffian. Native. Pro- native Bostonian. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I, I think, maybe it's intentional, I'm not sure, but you kind of come out the other end of the film kind of going, well, this is sweet, but I don't think it's going to last, but I do appreciate the kind of point of what's going on as in like, yes, she's moving to California and he's going to chase after her or he's going to go to her for the first instance. But then, eh, 
I, I don't know. I, I don't see them being together for the long term, but that's just my head canon. I don't know. And I don't know whether that's intended by the film, but it's... I think the intention of the film is more that the two of them should make a go of it. Yeah. And when Skyler's initial attempts to do so are rebuffed, it takes Maguire to get Will to, you know, really get in the mindset that she's someone who's worth pursuing. Yeah. And, you know, I'll leave it at that. But and the film is open-ended as to whether or not that will work out. So I think that was very much by design. Yes. Um, and moreover, it's pretty much the perfect way to end the film. Yeah. 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 Agrees. Um, so I guess summing up, um, good will hunting is good. Yes. Will hunting. <laughs> we are professionals. <laughs> Yeah. Um Big made for a budget of ten mil box office of two hundred and twenty five point nine million uh, over twenty two times your initial budget. Yes. So uh, Take that chasing Amy. Yeah. Yeah, fair to say this was a a bigger film for Ben Affleck than Chasing Amy was. Although <laughs> clearly I mean again, the links with Kevin Smith and Miramax that Affleck could provide did ultimately lead to Goodwill Hunting becoming a thing. Yeah. So, so you know, take you the know, rough with the smooth. Chasing Amy walked <laughs> so that Goodwill Hunting could run. So Goodwill could hunting. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, when we come back, let's talk about the career, the life and times of Mayor Damon. Mayor Damon. The economic modalities, especially in the southern colonies could most aptly be characterized as agrarian pre-capital. All right, of course that's your Hang contention. On, You're a first-year grad student. You just got finished reading some Moxian historian, Pete Garrison, probably. You're going to be convinced of that till next month when you get to James Lemon. Then you're going to be talking about how the economies of Virginia and Pennsylvania were entrepreneurial and capitalist way back in 1740. That's going to last until next year. You're going to be in here regurgitating Gordon Wood talking about, you know, the pre-revolutionary utopia and the capital-forming effects of military mobilization. As a matter of fact, I won't because Wood drastically underestimates the impact Wood of social distinctions. Wood drastically underestimates the impact of social distinctions predicated upon wealth, especially inherited wealth. You got that from Vickers. Work in Essex County, page 98, right? Yeah, I read that too. Were you going to plagiarize the whole thing for us? Do you have any thoughts of your own on this matter? So, Matt Damon, brother. The um, yes. counterpart in many ways to uh, Ben Affleck, our previous subjects. Maybe we'll talk more about their uh, close relationship a little bit later on. But mm. um, he started out with, in, in a similar way, with some, some little roles here and there, some little rom-coms, uh, a film called Mystic Pizza being his first one in my year of birth, 1988. Um, hey, Mom, what's this green stuff? That's the tamale. <laughs> of course. Uh, he was in Field of Dreams as an extra. Uh, as a little bit of... Uh, tip, 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 tip. Um, he was then in a 1992 uh, Brendan Fasier film called School Ties. Yes. Um, alongside Chris O'Donnell. And, uh, oh, look, Ben Affleck. Hmm. Mm. Oh, and Cole Hauser. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He was uh, in Geronimo, an American legend, uh, with Gene Hackman, uh, Glory Days, Courage Under Fire, 
uh, with Denzel Washington. So, you know, he's, he's building up a bit of a reputation. And then 1997, he has that bit part in Chasing Amy that we talked about. <laughs> you, you just went bossing I there. know, right? That bit part. That bit part. He was in a Francis it's Ford. Wicked hard. <laughs> it's wicked smart. I want a cold beer. He was in a um, Francis Ford Coppola film uh, called The Rainmaker um, as, as the, the, the star. Uh, yeah, based on a John John Grisham novel. Yeah, I've read a John Grisham book. So have I. It was depressing. What uh, was it called? Uh, Death March, I can't remember. Uh, mine was called The Street Lawyer. Uh, cool, is that what inspired you? No. No, okay. Uh, but then also 1997, obviously his big star turn in Goodwill Hunting, where he won his Oscar for um, screenwriting and, you know... Buckets of acclaim left, right and centre. Yes. Um, the next year, 1998, uh, aforementioned or previously covered Saving Private Ryan. Uh, yep, where he played Tom, Tom Hanks Month. In Tom Hanks Month, he played Private Ryan. Um, <laughs> After Nathan Fillion was a red herring. Oh dear. Uh, and then there was a film about uh, a bat and ball game, uh, very popular in this country, Rounders. Yeah. Um, wait a minute. It's no. basically baseball. Yanks. Yeah. No, it's a film about poker uh, with Edward Norton. Oh. I am Jack's poker player. <laughs> I'm sure that's what they, that, that was the catchphrase. Uh, 1999, he was one of the stars of Dogma, uh, which mm. we mentioned a little bit last month uh, when we talked about uh, Ben Affleck. Because he... it was the only uh, Kevin Smith film you'd seen previously. Yes, it was and remains mm. apart from Chasing Amy. Um, but then the same year, the talented Mr. Ripley. Have you seen ah, that? Yes. Uh, it's not what I've seen. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm aware of it. Um, it co-stars, uh, previous half subject, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, around the time she probably would have still been in a relationship with Ben Affleck. Wow. And, uh, also the shagger Jude Law. <laughs> yeah. Now, I recently resubscribed to uh, Netflix, as you know, mm. and um, The Talented Mr. Ripley is on there, and I thought, oh, I could watch that. Oh, yeah, fine. Um, I didn't watch that in the end. What I did start watching was another film, but we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later on. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Uh, in the year 2000... Ooh, was it for Legend of Bagavance? Oh, uh, you know... No, it wasn't. Oh, sorry. Uh, but he was in The Legend of Bagavance in the year 2000 with Will with? Smith. <laughs> yeah, uh, get your goddamn bagger out of my man's vans. <laughs> <laughs> my man's vans. Um, there was also a, a voice role in Titan AE, which I remember seeing, but I don't remember anything about. Uh, so that's by the by. Um, he was also in All the Pretty Horses um, with Penelope Cruz, which is about some pretty horses, probably. I don't know. Uh, in 2001... Um, interesting year for his career. He was in James Silent Bob Strike Back, which again we talked about last month. He was then also in Big Hollywood's um, Vegas Wankathon Ocean's Eleven, oh, uh, which we've mentioned favorite. mentioned a few times on this podcast. The Ocean's yes. films. Uh, he plays the kind of the the young criminal, uh, Bobby Caldwell's kid, aren't you? Get the hell in, says Elliot Gould. Um, yeah, where he's he's kind of sort of the third most important guy in that film because he's meant to be like the the future of swindling right <laughs> and he's kind of innocent to many things basically it's the first time i've seen him try and be f outright funny um 
he's not a comedy character, but he's kind of his naivety is a big kind of comic foil of the film, and right. it's pretty good. Uh, I can recommend; it's very watchable. Um, but it also a film that nobody else has seen, brother. But we've seen and talked about a few times. The Majestic. I fucking love the Majestic. I need to yeah. rewatch the Majestic uh, again. Another very rewatchable film with uh, Jim Carrey. Yes, uh, as a a um, Hollywood producer who gets amnesia and wakes up being mistaken for a guy called Luke Trimble. And it's only a voice role, and I think you see the back of his head, but um, Matt Damon plays the actual voice of Luke Trimble. Yes. The, the actual um, soldier who is ultimately Go, dead. Goes but, missing, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, it's a great film. Maybe we should talk about it next year. Ooh. Anyway, that's by the by. Uh, right, then 2002. This is where he's kind of really kicking into gear. Um, he's got a voice role as a horse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In spirit, Stallion of Cimarron. That's by the by. But uh, obviously, The Born Identity, um, I've mentioned earlier in this episode. Um, he is in a film called Jerry, as Jerry, um, written with, this time, a different Affleck and Damon, with Casey Affleck. I didn't know they were so big on Jerry Anderson. They must be. That's good to know. Which would explain the Team America connection, I suppose. That's quite yeah. right, yes. Uh, he played... Um, Parker, the butler. No, <laughs> silly me. He's not that ugly. How rude. Mm. Um, yeah, he's in some other things as well, but uh, excuse me, they're the, kind of the main ones I would say. In, ter- in terms of his importance, yes. um, I do note he was also that year in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Okay. Um, which was kind of... Uh, directed by George Clooney, right, and starred Sam Rockwell and Drew Barrymore. Wow, and one of them to, is a former Haas subject, and it's to do with how uh, an actual American game show host called Chuck Barris, who was famous for the Gong Show, right, which was kind of the America's Got Talent of its day, where as soon as they started to bomb, someone would hit a gong uh-huh. and they'd get hooked off. Um, apparently he alleges that he was also a CIA agent and, um, uh, went behind enemy lines in Berlin. Wow. Um, so it's interesting watching Sam Rockwell play that part. Wacky. You never know for Sam Rockwell month. Maybe. That might come up. That and Iron Man 2. Oh, what fun. (laughs) Yes. Um, speaking of wacky, uh, he's in a Farrelly Brothers comedy in 2003, Stuck on You, yes. which has probably aged like milk because it's about conjoined twins. And um, is done by the Farrelly Brothers. Yep, that's why I called it a Farrelly Brothers comedy. Yep. Um, he was a cameo in Euro Trip. Um, yeah. Have you ever one. seen Euro Trip? No. I saw us in the cinema in Banff. Oh, God. So... Um, who he plays in Eurotrip is the lead singer of a punk band who steals the main protagonist's girlfriend. Um, the main protagonist is called Scotty, and he basically writes this tune called Scotty Doesn't Know. Oh, I've heard that song. And Scotty is so humiliated, he goes on aforementioned Eurotrip ah. uh, to, to get away from all of this. I see. It's the forgetting Sarah Marshall of its day. Basically, yes. Good. <laughs> all of four, five years of forgetting Sarah Marshall. But the, the, the difference is, I think that's, oh, that's Matt Damon's only involvement. Right. It's like, he does that song and then he's never seen again. 
Good. So he came out of it. Vinny unscathed. Jones is in that film as a football hooligan. Never. Yeah. <laughs> the juggernaut bitch. Indeed. indeed. Wow. Ah, anyway, um, he was also a cameo role in Jersey Girl, which again we discussed a little bit last month. We did. Um, with, with Dwayne Affleck and a little girl and George Carlin. Mm-hmm. Um, the sequel to Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, the worst of the Ocean's films, although I've not seen the all-female one with James Corden. Um, <laughs> he's back for that. Well, if James Corden's in it, it's probably the worst. <laughs> Interesting tidbit of information about Ocean's Twelve. Um, he wasn't in that film as much. Uh, that's mainly because he had to do some, um, like, uh, uh, what's it called? Pick up shots, pick up shoots with, for the Bourne Supremacy to change the ending a little bit. Because um, the Bourne Supremacy was that year as well? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I didn't mention that, did I? Yes. Um, so that was there um, with, uh, what's his face? Carl Urban's in that film. Ah. Yeah. I, I did watch that one, as I said earlier. And yeah, it was okay. It was fine. It was fine. That's by the by. Uh, the next year he was then in, um, uh, stars alongside Heath Ledger. In an adaptation of the the story of the Brothers Grimm, um, oh, trademark infringement! I, <laughs> yes, we well we got our stick off the Brothers Chaps. Exactly. Yeah, Home Star One or, but yeah, he was uh, he's there with Heath Ledger in a film directed by Terry Gilliam, who's not problematic in the slightest. Why don't you just kill Michael Palin? Okay, great. That uh, was conflict. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> um, he reunites with Chris Cooper that same year in a film called Syriana, um, oh. with George Clooney as well, and Jeffrey Wright. Uh, much ah. appreciated brother. Felix uh, Wright. Felix Wright. Uh, Lighter. 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 Not yeah. Phoenix Wright. Take that! Objection! He was in The Departed in 2006. Ah, that's another very Boston film. Yeah. Which I haven't seen. No, mean. But uh, it's also a uh, a remake of the Hong Kong film Infernal Affairs, but they transplant it into Boston. Of course, easy, easy peasy, as, as you do. And then 2007 brings about the the final the, the 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 swan song of the Ocean's franchise, Ocean's Thirteen, uh, where this time he wears a big comedy nose and seduces someone. It's very funny. You had to be there. Uh, I've not yet seen The Bourne Ultimatum, but that was the same year. Um, then, at this point, he's, there's a bit of a, not a drop-off in the amount of films that he's in, but he's clearly kind of having a little bit of a rest. He has a voice role in the English dub of Ponyo, the Miyazaki film. Um, that he Fishy has, in the sea! He has two two scenes, basically. Uh, one of them is... Does Matt Damon love ham? No, Ponyo loves ham. Uh. And Sasuke. Ponyo, Ponyo. Anyway, um, 2009, uh, he's in a film called The Informant, um, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, I keep wanting to say Steven Soderbread. Of course you do. Uh, delicious. And then the film that I started watching, instead of Tazzy Mr. Ripley, Invictus. Oh, interesting. Um, the story of how Morgan Freeman is Nelson Mandela and wants to unite racists in his country by using uh, Francois Pignard, played by Damon, uh, to try and 
kind of get them on side and not badger them into stuff. And Dur- I, during the uh, Rugby World Cup during the rugby in World 1995 Cup. that was held in South Africa. Quite. Those are some very interesting casting decisions. And when I say interesting, mm. I mean probably unfortunate. I mean, so I read a little bit into it. I've not finished it and it didn't really hold my interest all that long. But to be fair, it's been an emotional week and I was very tired. Fair but enough. There I'm, is a passing resemblance between Matt Damon and Francois Pinar. Yes. Because I remember him being on, like, Question of Sport. Okay. Like, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And Fair enough. So. But then Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela is doing a very good job, I think. His accent slips a lot. Um, but I do know that he got the official blessing from Nelson Mandela and they were friends. Oh, good. So I think he's really, really trying. It'll be really interesting to look at for a, a Redux Morgan Freeman. Because... I'm, just think, I'm just thinking, in 2008, Morgan Freeman was in Wanted, to uh... which his most memorable line was, Shoot this motherfucker! <laughs> I'm just like, that was kind of Nelson Mandela before he went to prison. <laughs> so... Shoot this motherfucker. Well, quite. <laughs> Brother Racist. Malcolm. Racist. Hey, no, it's fine. <laughs> anyway. 2010. 2010. Uh, he was briefly in True Grit. Um, the Coen Brothers version of uh, the, the the classic story what with Jeff Bridges. Briefly. What? Briefly? He, I don't, I've not seen it. He's like the second... Third main character. Oh, in that well, film. fine, great. He's in there a lot. Uh, he's also in a Sonic the Hedgehog film, Green Zone. Uh, <laughs> he's just missing the hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. with uh, Paul Greengrass directing. Of course. Yeah, green, green grass, blue, blue sky. I was thinking more because it's a reunion, a reunion between him from uh, the Bourne Supremacy and such like. Better throw a party on the day than I die. Okay. Uh, that's a George Edgeworth song that Evie sang at school the other day. Oh, How man. lovely. Um, in 2011, the aforementioned or <laughs> so previously... Not, not a Rush song. No. As we've I... established, George Ezra, the opposite of Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Forgotten that. Uh, he was in Contagion, uh, Contagion that we covered yes. um, in a previous episode. Uh, for well, Kate... Lawrence Fishburne. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Virus killing everyone. Um, yeah. He Marion has... Cotillard loves ham. <laughs> Don't go spreading that about. No. Uh, he's in a film called The Adjustment Bureau, which is kind of trying to cash in on the kind of wacky brain psychedelic films of the, 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 um, Inception ilk. Mm. Um, I never watched hence, it. Hence, hence Emily Blunt being cast. Yeah. Mm. What? You heard me. Yeah, quite. Um, just the one in 2012, something called The Promised Lands. Uh, oh, what well, we didn't mention in 2011, We Bought a Zoo, uh, which is did you now? a comedy. No, no, he did with Scarlett oh, Johansson. No. Um, <laughs> you know, the most versatile actress. What was she playing? She an was elephant. playing an elephant. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, fine. Um, I nearly watched Elysium, uh, the 2013 film, but didn't. Uh, it's a, <laughs> a sci-fi film. Oh, God. He's prolific, so I'm trying to get through. Um, he was That's in... not some, as easy as it looks, is it? Some films in 2014, 15, and 16. 
Sorry, uh, 2013. <laughs> yeah, go on. He was oh, in yes. Steven Soderbergh's uh, biopic of Liberace. Yeah, with Michael Behind Douglas. the Candelabra. Yeah. Where Michael Douglas played Liberace and Matt Damon played his young boy, I assume. I suppose, well, I mean, by this point, he's not a young, a spring chicken anymore, but compared to Michael Douglas. Well, indeed. Although, on the plus side, no risk of cancer for Michael Douglas in this film because he's <laughs> playing Liberace, so no cunnilingus at all. No. No. Because that's the only way. I'm not even going to finish that <laughs> sentence. If you've never listened to an episode. 2014! <laughs> uh, Monuments Men, Interstellar, and The Man Who Saved the World. Um, the, 2015, The Martian. Um, 2016, he produced the Casey Affleck, um, Oscar winning film Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. Uh, about, uh, Oasis. Uh, he was also Jason Bourne. With, with, with Casey Affleck with Casey. by Noel Gallagher. <laughs> you gotta roll with it. Here, there's the sea. Um, <laughs> the sun will shine <laughs> over the sea. I, the only thing, I mean, he was in Downsizing in 2017, uh, which is a high concept, uh, funny film about going small. Um, I didn't watch it. Did you? No. No. Uh, but it's meant to be pretty good. Uh, he was also in Suburbicon uh, with uh, Clooney. Um, yeah, great. No, it wasn't. He was direct. Oh, fuck's sake. Uh, he was also cameoing in Thor Ragnarok as an untalented actor. Boo! Just like he then cameoed in Deadpool 2 as a redneck. Oh, I don't uh, that. He also had a cameo in Ocean's 8. Uh, but it was a deleted scene, so you know. Uh, I've not watched Ford versus Ferrari, but he was a cameo. He was in that um, a film about cars and shit. Role. Yeah. Oh yeah. As uh, directed by James Marigold. Yeah. Um, and uh, he co-starred uh, former hard subject Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Mm. And sadly, he was in Jane Silent Bob's reboot. Of course, yeah. he was. Uh, two years ago, the film The Last Jewel we talked about a little bit last month. Um, because Ben Affleck's in it, uh, and it was directed by the the f- noted historian <laughs> uh, Ridley Scott. Yes, yes, that's the guy. Uh, he was then a little bit in Thor: Love and Thunder. Jesus Christ, I hate that film. Um, and then uh, this year, uh, he was in Oppenheimer. Yes, um, which I've not seen, but you have, I gather. I have, yes. And was he a big role in this? Uh, I would say third or fourth lead. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Because at, at this point of his career, um, basically his wife had said, um, we need you more at home. You're doing too much work. Oh, she's and left until ba- 2023 to say that. Uh, uh, basically he said, okay, um, yes, I'll, darling. I'll give up work for a bit. Although if Chris Nolan comes a calling, and sure enough, Chris Nolan came a calling. Yeah, um, I mean, that's all very well to say that. But then he also founded a production company and made the film Air that year as well. So that is correct. He yes. is not able to cash those checks. God damn it! Well, you know, he's got but, to yeah. provide for his family. <sighs> I suppose so. Oh, you talk now. Okay, so basically, Oppenheimer is the last film that he's produced that has been released. Um, he has a few. Um, on the horizon, uh, the next one, uh, coming up is a Coen Brothers, uh, film. Oh, God. 
for at least one Cohen brother. Ethan Cohen. Yes, I'm not sure what happened to the other one. Uh, that's uh, Drive Away Dolls. Uh, he's got a voice role in an animated film called If, uh, which is written and directed by John Krasinski. Oh, him from The Office. That's the one. Right. Um, and then him and Affleck with their uh, production company, um, which we discussed last month, are uh, doing a film called The Instigators. Um, which uh, Affleck doesn't have a feature role in, but uh, his brother Casey does, as does Ving Rhames, Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina. Ron Perlman. Hellboy. Hellboy. And many more. Uh, and it's being directed by Doug Lehman, who did the very first uh, Bourne film, The Bourne Identity, which we covered earlier. Yeah. So it's a, a reunion after Matt Damon chucked him for Paul Greengrass. <laughs> Possibly not Damon himself, but uh, nice to see them working together again. Will I watch it? Oh, I don't know. Um, but uh, it's being filmed in Boston, so it may be another Boston film. Boston. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, the only other, other role I'd like to talk about is uh, he was a recurring character in uh, aforementioned 30 Rock. Okay. Uh, playing the, um, the love interest of Tina Fey's character, Liz Lemon. Uh, I forget whether they made it happen at the end. I think they did break apart... Um, can't exactly remember, but uh, I do not want to re. I do want to rewatch that. There are two other credits I'd like to make mention of. Go for uh, it. Both in the realms of television. Mm. So, first of all, because he and Affleck recognised that they came up through the ranks through getting a script greenlit. And because it was a, a massive success, it really cemented their careers. They um, started a show called Project Greenlight. Okay. Um, which was kind of sort of a reality show where budding screenwriters could um, pitch a script. And basically, if it got through all the checks and balances would uh, go on to be made. So um, Affleck and Damon um, were behind the show. I, I mean, it's not something I've ever watched, but it did lead to quite a few, specifically in the kind of horror genre, uh, a few kind of fairly now well-known names coming through the ranks, the kind mm. of people that uh, Dread Media would cover in uh, fair depth. Right. Um, so that ran initially between 2001 and 2005, and then also came back in 2015. Um, and then the other thing was, I don't know how often I want to reference running jokes on late-night American chat shows, but I'll make, I'll make mention of this one. Okay. Um, so, uh, Jimmy Kimmel presents the ABC 
uh, Network's equivalent called Indeed. Jimmy Kimmel Live. Yes. Are you aware of Jimmy Kimmel? I'm, aw- I'm aware of what you're about to talk about, yes. Okay. So uh, he had a running joke um, where at the end of the show it's like, sorry to Matt Damon, we've just run out of time. Mm. Um, and this would go on for a, a fair old bit. Now, at one point, Jimmy Kimmel was dating uh, Sarah Silverman, mm. the uh, American comedian. And uh, at, at one point, uh, Sarah Silverman sent in a song saying, uh, Jimmy, I've, I've got something to confess. Dun, 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 dun. I'm fucking Matt Damon. He's and, fucking Matt Damon. And basically, Matt Damon is there in the, the music video to confirm that he is basically having an adulterous affair with uh, Sarah Silverman. In, in various Babe. different uh, musical genre as well. Indeed. Including indeed. a kind of Gwen Stefani parody. Yes. So this happened and then Jimmy Kimmel waited a week to prepare his response. Uh, to which he went, dun 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 dun. I'm fucking Ben Affleck. <laughs> ben Affleck was there, and then basically any Hollywood A-lister he could get his hands on um, to help out with the video. So Robin Williams was in there. Yeah. Cameron Diaz was in. McLovin was in there. Yep. Uh, yeah, lots of people. So um, I, that's all I'll, all I'll add to that. It's a kind of a snapshot in time which kind of exemplifies the, the relationship that is perceived between or the, 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 the connection between Damon and Affleck. Oh, yeah. yeah. So let's get into it, shall we? Boy, ben always. Affleck or Matt Damon? I mean, I mean it's Damon's episode. So, oh, are you... T- oh, sorry, are you saying who do I prefer? Who's the best? I <laughs> said, okay... I yes, it's a very unfair question. I but go on. I thought you were asking um, their relationship, whose angle do you want to look at it through? Nope. Yeah, but you were, you were more asking, who's the best? I want clickbait. I see. <laughs> I think um, the person with the better filmography is Damon. Absolutely. Um... That doesn't mean that Affleck's filmography is bad. Um, I mean, yes, he's had the odd stinker here and there, but I again, I've not seen enough of uh, Damon's filmography to. Whoa. to, to okay, but it's where I write. If I'm just looking at his filmography, the only thing that I can see that's as bad a film as Gigli. <laughs> which again I've not seen is probably Thor Ragnarok, Whoa. and he was and he wasn't a starring role in that. Film. No, no, he wasn't. And I was drunk off my ass for Interstellar. So, and again, <laughs> he he wasn't a, ma- a major part of that. So, I've, I think Damon's had the better career, and Affleck's kind of suffered because of the the media intrusion into his life. That being said. Affleck is by and large stuck to acting and maybe producing, whereas Affleck has gone that one step further and done some direction as well. Yeah, I think so, that's the main difference between them. I think that hmm. Matt Damon is the consummate actor, um, who has obviously got plaudits for his writing skills as well, but is known mostly for acting roles 
whereas Ben Affleck has kind of taken on a, a wider versatility, um, yes. turning his uh, direction and, and and you know helming a, a sort of universe uh, or trying to anyway. Um, yeah, so I think ultimately Damon comes off the better in terms of just pure acting kind of ability. Um, I would argue. I don't think that means that Ben Affleck is a bad actor, but I think just because he has been in more kind of blockbuster rubbish acting fodder and then done some other things along the way, he's kind of diluted his skill set, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I think he's just not as well regarded as an an out-and-out actor uh, compared to Damon, who is actor pretty much exclusively. I think it's also that Damon probably gets offered better roles than Affleck does. Just because because Affleck's chosen his roles so carefully, he's more of a bankable star than Affleck is. Which is not to say that Affleck isn't, but um, it's, it's more the case that the more acclaimed roles aren't necessarily... If they're not being offered to him, then he's not lucking out in the auditions. I say luck just because it's a turn of phrase. Um, <laughs> but I think because both of them are so versed in the screen world that Affleck is someone who can decide if he needs to take a break from Affleck but still wants to keep his hand in, then he can do a few directorial gigs and they go quite a, a way to enhance his reputation. Yeah. It's yeah, like... Yeah. I mean, his stint as Batman has blown very hot and cold, but then, you know, the internet age nowadays, it's like, who knows whether that's a good thing or a bad thing now. Well. You know, you, you can listen to Donovan Morgan Grant and think, do I respect his opinion? Hmm. <laughs> uh, spoil, spoilers for some upcoming MP3. Uh, which I've yet to listen to. Ah. But um, <laughs> I think Damon, by and large, is very selective with his film roles, and that has, by and large, served him very well. Uh-huh. Whereas I think Affleck has been more kind of loyal to people who've helped him out with his career, which is why he does a bit more Kevin Smith stuff, or uh, why he'll work with... Jennifer Lopez say some more um, and that's not necessarily been beneficial for his career but probably doesn't hurt him with regards to maintaining his professional relationships Mm. and again him and Affleck uh, Affleck and Damon I should say um, have been tight since their teenagers and they're still friends and business partners to this day in their now early 50s which is something to very much admire absolutely a um, nice relationship between men who grew up together yeah absolutely how brilliant indeed Um, shall we hear what somebody else thinks about Matt Damon yes let's do so so uh, it's not what I've previewed because um, that's that's not in the title of their feedback but um what is Damon specific, or should I say 
Damoon specific <laughs> uh, has come from the Vicarage of Old. Shall we take a listen? Let's have a little listen, shall we? Okay. Hello, chaps. Hello. So, yes, Matt Damon. We watched The Martian again. We've Yay. seen that a few times now, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, but it's like Argo. You can, yeah, even though you remember how it turns out, you can rewatch it. Yeah. It's, it's still fun. It's and tense. And yeah. Even though you know how it turns out, you're like, oh, is he going to make it? Well, of course he's going to make it. I've seen this film before. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's one of Ridley's best films, personally. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. And great range of emotions that Matt Damon's called yeah. upon to, you know, at times he's cocky and sure of himself. Other times he's like despairing and yeah. banging the side of his rover. And yeah, it's just, it's just fantastic film. Really, yeah. really good. Yes. And some nice spaceship designs as well, which keeps me happy. <laughs> yeah. And it, I really like it when science fiction does space is dangerous. Yes. And boy, is it dangerous yeah. in this. <laughs> yeah. But also, I, I like how realistic and believable it all is. Yeah, and he gets badly injured. and so yeah. I can't watch the scene where he has to be stapled up. Oh, like, oh. Yeah. yeah. As well, the, every time I watch it, I get really cross with that teddy fucker who's like, oh, no, we're not going <laughs> to tell the rest of the crew. Oh, I know. Oh, no. I'd and, fucking ooh. lamp him. Oh, yes, he <laughs> disembowelled or something for yes that. yes and I, I i did find it amusing when they they're talking about and shawnee bean's good in it yeah. as well isn't he it's yeah. an unusual role for him he's really good oh and he lives for starters yeah <laughs> yeah that's true but then like they mentioned the whole council of elrond and he's talking yes! about the lord of the rings yeah <laughs> oh that's a brilliant scene that is yeah, yeah. so yeah absolutely all the martian brilliant yeah. film. he's all right in the Bourne films yeah i mean it was kind of i mean the first one particularly obviously was like this is bond but it's more vulnerable vulnerable serious bond and you know he actually gets injured and stuff so i quite i like the first one yeah um i think possibly the the, the later ones aren't quite so good but but if you really want some fascinating matt damon performances i would suggest a interstellar yeah can't say anything about it because that's spoilers but he you see another side to matt damon in interstellar and likewise true grit as well where yes. he's a very interesting character mm. and unlike the usual sort of heroic type figure. So for me, if you're going to do Affleck versus Damon, Damon scores more highly because he's done more of a variety of different roles. Affleck's either always the chiselled hero or he's a bit of an idiot in the Kevin Smith films, but there's not much more to him than that. I mean, Argo was definitely his best film because he's portrayed as a slight, slight, well, it's not even fallible, is he? Because he yeah. succeeds, but he's got a bit of a bit of a scummy life behind him. But Matt David, yeah, it's more of a range to him. <laughs> but then part of me wonders, has Affleck been given the other roles? Been offered them, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Don't know. Um, could, because it could be that Affleck would have the range given the opportunity. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't. Only maybe he doesn't. But uh, Matt Damon seems to have been cast in a, a greater variety of roles than Ben Affleck has, and we yeah. don't know whether that's because casting directors see Ben Affleck and go, "No, you can't do that. You can only do two things," yeah. or whether he just hasn't been given the same breaks. Mm. So there we go. Um, Matt Damon for me scores more highly than Ben Affleck, but they're still good. Both good. Both good. Yeah. Right. Well, um, have a good Christmas. Yeah. And uh, we'll catch up with you in the new year. Take care. Chew bye. Bye bye. Well, there you go. That's another vote for Damon. Yeah. Oh, dear. It's not looking good for Ben Affleck. No, you're quite right. You're quite right. <laughs> it's a head-to-head vote. I know, but it's it's fun. 
Oh, what fun. I, I suppose it is fair to say Damon's done a bit more sci-fi than Affleck has. So Yeah. And we, we talked all about like the range of stuff. You have to consider that a lot of his films were Kevin Smith films um, where he's just got to be himself. Certainly in the early days, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Okay, well, thanks for that, Orgs. Yeah. And then we have another piece of MP3 feedback, the size is trail. Oh. And uh, this one is seemingly, uh, I've not pre-listened to it, but it is entitled Affleck Ha. Uh-huh. So I have to assume it's about Ben rather than Casey. Fair enough. And... Um, this comes to us from Mr. Donovan Morgan Grant. DMG in the house. Hello, boys. Uh, this is Donovan sending you some uh, late feedback for your Affleck episode. Or really, like, just like kind of feedback for your Affleck episode because it was much more in response to the discussions of... um, What is his real name? It was... Benjamin Geza Affleck. Bolt. Um... And uh, a couple of points. I kind of want to talk about Affleck's reputation at large and also kind of start off with your thoughts on Chasey Amy. The film that I was one of many to kind of suggest, hey, it sure would be funny if you guys watched this really cringy movie. <laughs> um, that being said, I can speak to my personal experience with the film. And I didn't see it, you know, when it came out because I've been too young. But I think it's wonderfully, wonderfully is an interesting term representative <laughs> of changing understandings and attitudes about sexuality uh, when it comes to things like romantic comedies and uh, Hollywood and, and the media, because that movie was initially recommended to me by a queer woman um, who said that she really enjoyed it. And at the time, I think it was seen as one of Kevin Smith's most successful films, critically speaking. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm saying this not necessarily to defend it, really, but I think... Um, Andy's reaction to it was a very much sort of like nose pinching. Oh my God, why did they do this? You know, why would they ever do this kind of movie? And that really just wasn't, it was just a totally different time back then, which I think you guys both understand. But the reappraisal of it since then, I think it is really, really recent um, in regards to both Kevin Smith, him talking about it and kind of just the idea of it. Obviously, sexual fluidity and being bisexual or pansexual or just the umbrella term of queer, is not really considered in the writing of the movie. And it definitely does a non-zero amount of like just general faux pas. Like, oh, these, these gay women are mad that she's with a guy. While at the same time heavily implying that like if a gay woman hooks up with a guy, then that, you know, that sort of like bond close galore sort of like straightening her out thing it's absolutely problematic and i'm not i'm not trying to necessarily defend it but i feel that though a bit more straighter context in regards to then and now when it came to general i guess proximity to that kind of conversation i think was new and i think was kind of the reason why people saw it as kevin smith having some sort of like literary value or or storytelling value when it came to topics like that, there was a review that said that, like, this is actual, uh, at the time, this is a worthwhile romantic comedy because it talks about things that people actually kind of go through rather than just the tropes of love. And 
again, this is not necessary for me to defend it or or even complain that uh, Panny didn't like it. I'm not. I, I really. I knew that was going to happen, um, and I was hoping it's going to happen because it is really cringy, and I've seen it more than once. And I, it's one of those things that like you just you just gnaw your teeth when you're watching it again. But I feel that like there was a sense of what were they thinking at the time. Where in like you know 25 years ago they weren't thinking a lot of the concepts that we understand as sort of everyday now just weren't factoids back then. At least in regards to especially with straight people, specifically with straight people. So I just kind of wanted to voice uh, that. Moving on to Affleck himself. Uh, I feel that Ben Affleck is an actor who has been kind of a, kind of somebody that, that calls upon the average moviegoer to have some sort of opinion on. For much of my life, Affleck has been kind of seen as a joke. And I'm talking about like the 2000s era where he was, he was an actor. He was in Good Will Hunting. He was in, um, some of all fears. He was in this movie. He was in that movie. I, I, and I think that you guys, I believe you guys commented on this. Uh, actually, we, we listened to that, that part, but around the Benefer era, when he was in Daredevil and when he was, um, doing those kinds of movies, when he was dating Jennifer Lopez, whether it was due to his relationship or not, I do remember Affleck kind of being seen as a kind of like lame actor. I don't know why. Um, this this kind of recalls upon when he was doing stuff like Daredevil because you know as somebody who's actually like always enjoyed that film whether it's like the original one or the uh, director's cut I never really necessarily saw anything that Affleck did wrong as a performer like, he's always a very like kind of like workman like journeyman performer sometimes he listens to his Bostonian accent or not but like I've never seen Affleck necessarily give a bad performance but I remember for like a, a long time people were like Ben Affleck sucks. Uh, that that kind of just became like you know a very much in the same way that like Ian's like Jennifer Lopez sucks, <laughs> you know without explanation. But um, I think that ever you know when he started doing his own own director director stuff like The Town, and later Argo, that there was a sense of a stronger mind behind him. Um, there was also stuff coming around the time he was being a lot more loudly politically active. He kind of got into uh, an argument with Bill Maher on his show. Um, like 10 or 12 years ago and such. So it seemed like, you know, whatever you may think of him as a performer or the movies he's been in, he's he himself is a bit more of an interested person than his body of work made, uh, at least originally made you think he might have been. And so when you have stuff like that um, as, a, as a director and kind of the subject matter that, that he's into, the reappraisal in the late 2000s uh, seemed to be owed to that. Um, the, the Affleck sucks um, sort of like belief set was still very much in play when he was announced as Batman. And I feel that like without getting too much into it, because I don't want to talk about it. Um but when it comes to him as Batman, I feel that, that was a really big kind of almost cultural turning point in regards to his perception because no matter how much I what I think about those movies, I think he's I won't say universally, but he's generally very well received. Um you guys kind of noted that he was cast as Batman, but like feel that like it's much more than just uh you know a notch in his belt a la Val Kilmer. I mean he I think he's actually the Batman who's been in the most live action films. And the whole thing about him is that like people so enjoyed him from Batman v Superman that they wanted to see his own Batman movie, which led to the whole he's going to write and direct a Batman movie because he's a director now. It's gonna be super serial you guys. And then he kind of fell out like, well I'm not going to write or direct it but I'm going to star in it and then that turned out to be during his um, 
problems with addiction, so he kind of fell out of that. And basically, the reason why we have the Batman is because Affleck's Batman film, which is going to be written, directed, and starred by him, fell out. And to this day, people still see him as so ideal in the role that it's become one of those release the Snyder Cut-esque troll lines to just demand the Batfleck movie, make the Batfleck movie. I remember vividly when James Gunn was tweeting about Russian Keith's Kevin Conroy, people would respond to him saying, make the Batfleck, Batfleck movie. That's how kind of manic his reputation as a character has kind of come into it. And I feel that that, that speaks to Affleck's reputation now as a performer. Because after around 2017, he had his, his issues with addiction, which he's been very public about. He was, uh, I know he made a, a movie about an alcoholic uh, basketball coach. He's been doing some other stuff. He's trying to get back into directing. What to, it, it, at the end of the day, I think that ben, uh, ben Affleck is a performer who audiences seem to have a real like love or hate relationship, very hot or cold back and forth relationship with. Because I've seen it all over the place. I've seen people when he was in Gone Girl, like, okay, he was pretty good. Of course, the takeaway was Rosamund Pike in that movie. But there was sort of this burgeoning. To me, there is a sense of can this guy, who is, has never really been proven to be a bad actor, but like have been in movies people people don't care about, can he achieve a level of like I don't know Hollywood greatness or whatever? Well, um, Live by Night didn't do very well, so he sucks. Well, the Justice League movie didn't do very well, so he sucks. Well, he did this movie that, that was pretty well. Air has gotten um, critical acclaim of a movie that he directed, so he's good again. And I, I, I don't know. I feel that like that that is been. Um, something to further comment on like the the general reputation when you folks when you folks when you two guys talk about actors there is sort of an understanding of how they're perceived by and large uh with uh, throughout their their career with affleck i just find it to be a very very like quickly changed mind from almost from project to project and i don't think that's fair um i like ben affleck i i, I think that he is a smart guy he's a very talented guy observing the last decade of his career has been interesting in kind of like seeing a much more highlighted audience response, whether it's people online or just, you know, critical appraisal or what have you that I felt that like, I would like to kind of just kind of give my thoughts on. And if you guys have any further thoughts on how public perception in regards to his career and him as a performer has played into his overall legacy as a performer. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down in regards to, do you remember the days when people said Ben Affleck sucked just, you know, on site? Or were you not necessarily aware of that? And this may be down to, like, you know, the films that he was in or, or whatever. But I'm looking forward to the next episode. Uh, happy holidays, and I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Don. Um, you know, I think you're absolutely right. And it's something we didn't really touch on too much, but the idea that... I think there's such a big variety of like Kevin Smith movies versus Argo. He seems to kind of go from, I mean, he has high highs, he has low lows to the point where every, anything that's kind of in the middle, it seems to kind of, like Don said, kind of confirm, oh no, he's not as good as everyone thinks he is, or he's not, he's no Matt Damon who has been kind of more consistent or, or judged more fairly, maybe. Yeah, I think there was never a period where Damon was kind of put down as being a bad actor. Yeah. Whereas that wasn't the case for Affleck. Particularly, I think we're talking around the beginning of the millennium. And again, I think this goes back to the fact that at the time we were big fans of 
and probably still are, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Yep. And they were not complimentary <laughs> at <laughs> Um From, you know, Pearl Harbor through to, like, most of the stuff he was doing in the mid-2000s. And that wasn't perhaps the most critically acclaimed period of his career. Um, I mean... I mean, for, I mean, Don didn't give specific examples. He was talking more about the 2010s, which is absolutely fair because he's talking about the kind of interesting highs of his career yeah. after the criticism. But I've brought up, you know, prior to us uh, to us playing his feedback, uh, Gili um, could talk about Daredevil. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, which is an interesting discussion to have because there's the theatrical cut and then there's the director's cut. And then one is vastly superior to the other, neither of which really get by on Affleck's acting, but at the same time it's not like he's bad in it. But, you know, it's a superhero movie coming out in 2003. And if you remember what those films were like at the time, then... It's pretty much the definition of hit or miss. Yeah. And it just so happened that Ben Affleck was the star of Daredevil at the time. And you've seen the TV series, haven't you? Uh, I have, yeah. yeah. Uh, so mm. it's fair to say the Daredevil film starring Matt Affleck, very different to the TV series. Indeed, and like, I've not seen the Daredevil film, and it'll be interesting to to compare the two but i think the the thing the tv show for me gets right is the kind of the broody dark atmosphere and the 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 ultra violence of it because it's a netflix show whereas daredevil as i understand it the film was more kind of cinema made and has less time to establish a character and it's but is it Affleck's fault, or is it he's just the poster boy for it, no, and therefore I, he's it, tied to the? He was carrying the film because he was in the main role. Yeah, and, and that's and, my point. Like yeah. he helms big things, and sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're terrible, uh, yes. or, or they're perceived to be terrible, whether they are or not. Whereas Matt Damon, if we're making the direct con- uh, comparison, tends to only or, or to have a higher rate of good films yes um maybe that's because he is more choosy or as Anne marie said earlier maybe it's because he's offered the stuff because he's more kind of doughy eyed and kind of innocent and therefore makes a good underdog hero whereas yes Affleck, I, I think we Affleck's more kind of uh hunky chunky chiseled jawed american yeah we we certainly shouldn't gloss over the fact that matt damon is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, all-American <laughs> Gary from Team America type. Yeah. Whereas Ben Affleck isn't. He's yeah. the, the, you know, brown-haired, chisel-drawed um, chap. Who, it's like, I, th- I think Affleck was doing action films before Damon was, put it that way. Mm. Um, so is it all just down to how we view them? Are we the shallow ones? I mean, put yes. this way, I mean, they're they're really great mates, but they're not a double act at the no. same time. No, yeah. they are good. They're a good bundle. Yeah, it's. I mean, if you were to, isn't not the greatest of analogies, but it's not like for British TV, you see Dick and Dom doing different things, or Anton Deck doing different things. Or they the are Chuckle Brothers. Act. 
Well, yes. I mean, less so now that one of them's died. Zig and Sharko. Yeah. <laughs> Cow and Chicken. <laughs> Dexter Tango. and Dee Dee. Tango and Cash. You know, it's, Starsky it's just a and case, Hutch. Yes. Okay. It's just a case of PJ and not, Duncan. They're not bound at the hip, apart from Matt Damon in Stuck on You. <laughs> And even then, that was Greg Kinnear, not Ben Affleck. Ah. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, they're two guys who are best mates, but they're, you know, they're not doing their careers specifically with the intent of working with each other all the time. You know, they're they're doing different projects based upon their different tastes and different schedules. It just so happens that I think Damon has had projects that have done better than Affleck. I think that's pretty much all it is, really. Um, do I think Aff- uh, Damon's a, a vastly superior actor? No. Do I think Affleck's a vastly inferior actor to Damon? No. It's just a case that, you know, some of his films have struck out on a more regular basis than those of Damon, really. Um... Keith Harris and Orville. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I regret bringing this. No, up. you're quite right. No, fine. You're right. It's an unfair question, but it's interesting to look at because, you know, you can't help but compare the two. But hey, thanks for your feedback, Don. Absolutely. I will say, just looking at my spreadsheet. Right. Um, so we have covered, to date... Um, six films each that Affleck and Damon have appeared in. Oh. And there are currently two films that cross over. So they were both in Chasing Amy and they were both in Goodwill Hunting. Right. Um, Affleck was in Armageddon, Shakespeare in Love, Pearl Harbor and Argo. Aye. Matt Damon was in Saving Private Ryan Contagion, The Born Identity, and The Martian. Right. And, you know, most all of those films, very good. Yeah. You know, it, it's just like... And, you know, even just in isolation, both of them have had really good careers. Oh, absolutely. Careers that have gone at least 25 years in the main spotlight of the media glare. So... You know, they're very successful men. You know, I mean, you can argue which one's better. But ultimately, I think both of them will be reasonably content with their careers, even if certain things in their life haven't panned out the way that they perhaps would have liked. But, you know... Well, that's a completely different thing. That's a completely different thing. But, uh, hey... I'm happy to have read, mentioned Keith Harrison Orville on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Lovely stuff. Yeah. But yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much both uh, f- uh, for both sets of feedback. You're mm. beautiful, wonderful people. And we'd love to hear more from you in the coming year because it's time to think about the future and beyond. Well, if you want to do what uh, the Orgs and Donovan have done, uh, you can send us feedback, be it via email or MP3 to hey at earth-2.net that's hey at earth hyphen the number two dot net or send something to our Facebook page why don't you why not yes 
but yes. Ooh, the future, the future. Dear the brother, future. Dear we're going to be in like the Martian. We're, we're, you know, on spaceships in the future, going, woo, and leaving people behind on different planets. I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, we have episode 100. Good God. Episode 100 to close out the year. Oh, my God. And whilst we're not giving away what the subject is going to be, we mm. have picked our films. Mm. Um, so we've got two films for that particular subject. All we will say... Um, one of our running hay and actor jokes. Ho ho ho. So, uh, get ready for, uh, that. But we will include things such as outtakes, such as Christian's Challenge, Ooh. such as the Tomlinson Awards, Ooh. which are now open. Oh! Um, so I will do a post with regard to that, uh, so that you can guess in your things lickety split because episode 100 will be aiming to come out before the end of the year so um, um yeah we will we'll, we'll see with emphasis on the word aiming, aiming. but uh, <laughs> it will aiming. be episode 100 which we will at the very least get recorded this calendar year uh, ahead of uh, year 11 the year of redux the year of redux we will try to do things a lot better the year of redux. Something that rhymes with better. Lovely I'm not stuff. Doing well with rhyming now. I've got it all on my system for that earlier jingle song. Well, um, you have an eight year old daughter. Indeed. And a five year old son. Quite right. Mm. Yeah. But as you well know, the first entry in the year of Redux is going to be Will Smith. Yes, it is. And we will be announcing uh, the three films we're going to be covering for that month uh, in our next episode. And a f forum thread has been released on the forums um, just to say, Hey, which actor that we've previously done would you like us to Redo mm. or Redux. Do so over. Thank you for everyone who have uh, contributed thus far. Please continue to keep your nominations flooding in, uh, either to the forums or indeed the Facebook page, um, because we will be going up to a maximum of 11, uh, depending on whether or not the year of Redux is better for our productivity. I reckon it probably will be, but um, let's, let's not... Um, uh, promise things we can't uh, deliver <laughs> on. But uh, Defo Will Smith uh, for our first episode proper of 2024. Um, so, yeah, very exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Good stuff. I'm excited to have done a hundred of something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, uh, so as I say, we'll be getting posts out just to let you know what the uh, Tomlinson's Ballast is going to be, so you can get your entries in lickety split. But uh, until episode 100... Good God. Uh, it's time to say goodbye, so uh, it's a cheerio from me. And it's a goodbye, au revoir, saranara, saranara, sayonara, marinara, mayonnaise, pasta bolognese... Cool. Shaman. Shaman. 
Layman <laughs> Clayman Matt Damon Paul Heyman Bye <laughs> Jimmy, it's me. I'm in a, a hotel. I don't know. I've been on the road so long. I I don't even know what city I'm in anymore, to be honest. Anyway, I've been thinking about you a lot. And uh, I've been needing to tell you something. I don't know why I haven't, but it's important. I mean, we've been together for so long, over five years, and I still haven't told you, and it's just not right, so... Here it goes. I'm f- Matt Damon. She's f- Matt Damon. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm f- Matt Damon. She's f- Matt Damon. I'm not imagining it's you. I'm f- Matt Damon. On the bed, on the floor, on a towel by the door, in the tub, in the car, up against the mini bar. I'm f- Matt Damon. She's Matt Damon. While you're drinking diet snapples. I said I'm Matt Damon. She said she's Matt Damon. Hey, Kimmel, how do you like them apples? Get it? It's like because I'm like talking about her breasts. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Hey, Jim, don't take it bad. Remember all the good times we had. Like the time we went fishing and we caught a bunch of fish. Then you puked in the bucket of fish that we caught. Knock, knock. Who's that knocking at my door? It's true, the insider has confirmed that she is, in fact, Matt Damon. Last week when I was playing Scrabble with you online, I was Matt Damon. We flew back and forth like an idiot to do your show and Regis and Kelly's show. She was definitely Matt Damon. When I told you I was Matt Damon, I was Matt Damon. That's it. Um, I think I was clear. <laughs> you did great. Oh, it was okay. <laughs> Pretty damn good. Um, anyway, um, you know, we had a great run, Jim, and uh, I hope there's no hard feelings. I hope we can be friends. I'm friends with all my boyfriends, my old boyfriends, so. If anything isn't clear or you need closure of some kind, please, please call my publicist, Amy's V, at BNCPR. So take care. You know what? Stop right there. Jimmy, we're out of time. Sorry. 
<laughs> you are so bad. A little bit. Let's put that guitar down and go <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> See you, Jimmy. Good Will Hunting is a 1997 film written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, starring Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, uh, probably in the wrong order there, uh, but also Robin Williams, Stellan Starsgard, and Minnie Driver, who's a tiny, tiny little car junkie. Uh, and it tells the story <laughs> of Will Hunting, who is good at maths. Um, spends his time as a janitor because of his uh, criminal past. He's got a job. He spends his time going around Boston, uh, kind of gangbanging and having a lovely time with his mates. Uh, gangbanging in the non-sexual way, I hasten to add. Yeah. It's not that kind of film. Um, and the non-criminal Otherwise, it would be called either. Goodwill Pumping or Goodwilly Pumping. Good God. Or g- anyway... <laughs> I think we found the outtake. It's not that kind of film. <laughs> good willy pumping. Good willy pumping. You know, they're probably it. Let me just quickly search for good willy oh, pumping. Oh, Good willy pumping. Mm. And see if there is uh, penis pumps and how they work. <laughs> uh, how to watch and stream Wonka with Tim- Timothy Charlemagne. <laughs> willy uh, pumping, eh? Willy pumping. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, let's... One book! <laughs> Swedish made penis enlarger pumps. And me, that is my bag baby. Uh, Authored by Austin Powers. Powers. Oh, joy. Mm. Good, right, let's try that again. Knock, knock, knock the door, knock, knock, is there no one there? Knock, knock, knock the door, we need a place to stay. No rooms left. All the other rooms are full, no rooms left, sorry none at all.